Hey everyone, Tom here, just as a quick intro before yet another compilation edition of the show. If you aren't familiar with what we do here, we've now reviewed every single Metallica song, at this point at least, as I record this in May 2020. So I go back and basically reassemble the album from all the episodes we've done, cut out the intro, cut out the end, cut out the Twitter appeals and stuff like that, and uh, yeah, just put all the criticism in order, in listening order. So today, we're looking at Hardwired. This is actually the ninth compilation we've done now. We're almost done with the discography. We've done uh, Reload, well, we did Ride the Lightning first, then Death Magnetic, then Master of Puppets, then Load, then the Black Album, then Justice, then Garage Disc One, and then Reload. Today, as I say, we're doing Hardwired. Just before I give my thank yous to all the guests, I want to give a huge... Thank you to Hans Olav Sletness. I hope I'm saying that right, my friend. Uh, he just became a patron the other day. And if you enjoy the show, you want to give back to the show, you can support us on Patreon over there, www.patreon.com forward slash alphabetallica. put the links down below. Basically, that's a pay-per-view for the show. So at the time of me recording this, if you support on the Patreon, you get access to two episodes that aren't going to be on the feed for a few weeks. That is an episode I did with John where we went through the history of Metallica's stage designs. And John, like me, is a huge Iron Maiden fan. So it's kind of like half an Iron Maiden appreciation chat and half talking about Metallica stage designs and Maiden stage designs and stuff like that. Love that one. And I just recorded an episode with Brandon where we went through uh, the band's triumphant 2014 Glastonbury headline show. Amazing show. And we just sort of spoke about the history of Glastonbury and the controversy of the boys playing and Lars's drunken interview afterwards and, and the performance and the set list and the pyramid stage and all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, if you want to be like Hans, if you want to help out Alf Metallica, you can go over to the Patreon there. You can do many other things as well. You can go over to iTunes, leave review go check out the reviews people have been leaving support us at metallica pod tell a friend about the show go back through the archives as well you know if any of these episodes you're about to hear pique your interest go back and listen to the full episodes because obviously um there's the intro where we talk as well that i cut out and also the m where i ask the questions and um yeah this is a particularly good batch of guests but i do kind of always say that because uh i'm very proud of the show and going back and listen to these episodes and cutting them up just reminds me how lucky I've been, really. How just how fantastic, uh, you know, and illuminating the guests have been. So, just before we get to the clips and the chat, the first episode you're going to hear is, of course, the opening song of Hardwired. Hardwired. That was episode 61 with uh, Dennis Muraviev. Second track, of course, is Atlas Rise. That was episode 10 with Colton Lane, early episode. Following that is Now That We're Dead with Nick Makoviak, episode 105. Shout out to Nick, by the way. He's a bit of a cult hero in the Metallica podcast world. Did a lot of artwork uh, for the boys over there, Metal Podcast, and always great to speak to him. Episode 4 here is Moth Into Flame, track 4. That was episode 95, Adam Severa. Next is Dream No More, number 40, with Tommy Trinkler. Tommy's someone I've had again on the show quite a few times. Following that is Halo on Fire, episode 60. You know, that ends disc 1. That's with Andrew Passanen. Opening disc 2 is Confusion, which is episode 25 with Nicholas Kazoom, then Man Unkind with Sam Briefer, episode 87, Here Comes Revenge next, which is episode 66 with Yuri Startsev, and I actually forgot that episode 10, well, track 10, Am I Savage, which is episode 6, is a solo episode, and, uh, you know, it's mad to think I say at the start of that clip that we haven't even got out the first letter yet, so that is just like, you know, salad days for Alpha Metallica. Murder One Follows, which is episode 97 with Jack Chambers. I mean, shout out to my man Jack. He's been on the show many times. Most recently, we did the Mega Histories Jason Newstead episode. And uh, yeah, such a good dude. We always have a good uh, convo. And finally, Bob, Bob O'Rourke, someone else who's been on the show many times, did an awesome Load Reload era recap that I think I mentioned briefly in this one. And that is Spit Out the Bone, and that is episode 131. So, um, 
yeah, this is me looking back on Hardwired. Hope you enjoy this. This is, you know, nearing four hours of content. Next thing out will be the History of Metallica's live shows, uh, which will be out in the next week, two weeks or so. And the episode that I'm currently gearing up for, and if you've got any insights in this, if you've got any emails you can send, I'll really appreciate it. I'm doing a History of Metallica's books. So basically, all the books that have been written about the boys, you know, stuff from the, you know, behind the scenes, hardcover, officially endorsed, back to the front, to the expose pieces, to, you know, all of the, you know, your Enter Knights and your um, Justice for All Truth about Metallica, your Joel McIvers and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I haven't read them all, but I just kind of want to catalogue them all. And, you know, I've interviewed quite a lot of authors as well who have written about Metallica, so I'll put those clips in there. But if you have, wh- what books have you read about Metallica? What books have you enjoyed? Get in touch with me, metallicapod at gmail.com or at metallicapod on Twitter. But I prefer an email if you want to go a bit more long form, and I'll read all those out. So, um, yeah, finally, thanks again to all the people that join me talking to Hardwired and let's get into this album. Hardwired then as a song, Metallica, with the intro songs, they used to, at least in the early albums, tend towards a, you know, a slow build, uh, you know, an acoustic interlude of sorts before, but here it's just the immediate, you know, it is the riff charge, isn't it, the gallop of the open E, the pulsating drums, uh, the riff slowly breaking free, piece by piece, developing itself out of the jigger. Nah, nah, you know, you hear it, kind of like Enter Sandman in a way, it kind of rises out the primordial riff ooze there, and it's a pretty irresistible introduction, I think. Yeah, first thing I would say, uh, what a great three months challenge Metallica made uh, for us all fans with the album. Mm. Uh, if you remember, uh, on August 18th, uh, during the broadcast uh, interview, at Metallica HQ, Lars told the name of an, an album and uh, he played the first song from album on his iPod. Right. And no one expected that. And uh, just one hour later, uh, they sent to all legacy members a free download uh, with a song and uh, published a video on YouTube. Mm. So everyone just goes crazy. <laughs> And you, you sent across before this episode, which I really appreciate guests to do when they do prior research, which is quite rare, which is no slight against any guest that's ever been on the show. They've always been great, but it was just novel. It was cool to see. And you compared the main hardwired riff, the riff that forms the backbone of this fairly short song. As I said before, it has this kind of punk intention that just kind of worms its way into your brain in a sort of sort of hardcore sense. But you were pointing out that in other songs, um, such as Raining Blood and even My Apocalypse, they're quite similar right yeah i think the intro is just really close to rain and blood but uh just in the beginning of the song yeah i mean metal riffs always have this sort of incestual nature i suppose because they occupy these 
you know, spaces on the fretboard that are just kind of quite busy and familiar. But but I get what you're saying. It works within the song. It kicks into the riff. It really has a sense of pace, the sort of machine gun rhythms, you know, the stop start. Yeah. It's a it's a shot to the heart. It's a reminder that this band who, you know, through this press tour, through this run, will be exposed to so many new fans. I'm sure there are so many young people whose hardwired is their first, you know, record of the band. I've actually had people on the show who I think of that, you know, fit in that category. And they're, they're living up to their potential, really. They're not sluggish. They're not slow. They're active and they're interesting. Sure. <laughs> when it moves forward into the chorus, the we're so fucked, it's kind of rare to hear Metallica swearing in a chorus. Yeah, <laughs> for a long time, yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. It's not that James doesn't, you know, isn't potty mouthed or whatever, but I remember when I saw them in Birmingham, uh, October 30th, 2017, incredible concert. Check out that episode uh, where I recapped the whole thing. That was a, that was a really fun one. Uh, Brad Lyons of Single Podcast Theory called that episode, I think he called it cute. So that is a ringing endorsement. So definitely go check that one out as well. But yeah, I remember being at the concert. And on the back of people's shirts was We're So Fucked, just emblazoned in like bloody, you know, puss head letters. And I was like, well, yeah, of course, it is that sort of, it's just that appeal to the mainstream. And it, I don't mind it, it's fine. It's kind of fuel-esque in that way. But it's very blatant, isn't it? Him screaming We're So Fucked and then closing out with the sort of, here's the album, Hardwired to Self-Destruct. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh... it, it's, a, it's a fairly short song. You know, it really has a little bit of death magnetic still in the DNA. The song is only three three minutes and nine seconds, and uh, if you doesn't uh, doesn't mentioned it before, yeah. uh, it's uh, just close to Mother Breath. That is the shortest uh, song they right uh, right before, uh, and it's just six seconds uh, less than it. Mm. Yeah, it's brief. It's very brief, and it sort of yeah. gives you a taster, really, of the album as a whole. You know, the fantastic sound, uh, you know, sort of slightly familiar riffing that maybe turns but some it, people off like me on Hardwater. It was an idea of James uh, to make a short song. Yeah. Uh, they need a, an opener. Uh, and in his interview in So What, uh, he, thought, uh, he told that the first number was a two minutes. Hmm. So it's like Ramon's or Misfits length. Um, and uh, I can read a quote. Uh, then things got a, a little longer, but it's still under four minutes, which is great, no matter what. It's so punk, it's so simple. Whatever you think of lyric writing, it's not a Shakespeare. I know that. But it's a summation kind of the whole album. It gave us a little bit of direction to where to go with a little of the record. I, I, you know, I dig the lyrics for what they are, for how they operate in this sphere. You know, they uh, use uh, anaphora, uh, poetic repetition at the start of each line, in the name of, on the way, you know, once upon, do you, like, you know, this kind of jackhammer lyricism with James barking it out. Kind of reminds me a little bit of that was just your life in the sort of frenzied panic in his vocal. Yeah, something common. Yeah, it's super flashy and it's satisfying. And, you know, I think there's higher points on Hardwired, personally. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the best song on the album. 
I don't know if it'll survive on later tours. I don't know if it's just functioning as it functions on the album as an introduction. You know, again, I remember seeing them live, then playing this. They played the tape, first of all, and then went into the riff, which I thought was kind of odd, but but still, you know, they were getting on stage, they were getting ready, and it was it was crazy to see, and I was screaming, we're so fucked with everyone else in the uh, in the Birmingham arena. Uh, but, but yeah, it's a... It's a decent song. I don't really like um, Dennis. I don't really like Kirk's solo. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's kind of trash. I think it's kind of trash. Yeah, and a, a little bit short. Yeah. And maybe uh, it's even uh, something similar with uh, My Apocalypse solo. Mm. Because uh, if you remember, it starts with a slide. Uh, in my apocalypse and and it also ends (laughs) with a slide uh, in hard white so so yeah yeah i really don't like the ending the ending of the solo is terrible like solos need to have a big flourish especially in songs like these where they only have a moment of breath and kirk just has this anonymous slide back down the frets as you say and it's kind of fearful and yeah i don't i i don't really dig it i think (sighs) The riffs are okay in this song. I don't want to pick this song apart because it kind of has this symbolic function, I think, this sigil-like quality. And I don't, again, I don't rank it as highly as some others. There's a nice little speed-up at the end, you know, a sort of four-bar ramp in tempo and then sort of coasts out smooth. And nice to hear James screaming self-destruct over the song. (laughs) Yeah, not the best song uh, on the album, uh, meant. I think you're correct uh, that uh, it wouldn't survive in the next uh, two. No. Maybe, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe but, but... Moth or Halo yeah. would, but not that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, di- I, I mean, I think I upset a few people when I said I didn't like Halo on Fire, but um, yeah, it's not really not really stuck with me. I probably prefer Hardwired over it. But... I like Halo. <laughs> yeah? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know. There's a lot of fans. There's a lot of fans, definitely. And it's uh, great life. <laughs> mm, mm. Uh, and as as with everything, pretty much on the Hardwired record, uh, you know, we get a behind the scenes video. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, titled "Riff Charge," but it's pretty cool. In this video as well, you see James talking about hearing the phrase "Hardwired to self destruct" and explaining it uh, to Greg and Lars. And it's very earnest and candid, and it's pretty much birth there and then that you know the record. And, you know, they talk about the melody as well. And you see them singing. And James plays a Nirvana version of the Hardwired yeah, yeah. riff, which is, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he plays a sort of version of it, an alternative version. And I think Greg asked if it's a Nirvana version. But, yeah, it's still a pretty cool reinvention to see. And I love seeing James in the vocal booth. His uh, his screams are pretty infectious. <laughs> yeah. It's a great that uh, they put uh, not only the video and uh, but uh, the video how they made uh, the song and the the video how they recorded uh, the video so it was a great experience for all of us yeah yeah as I said before and people comment below what other band does this 
I, I, you know, I'm pretty into music. I like a lot of bands. I like watching behind the scenes shit. I can't think of many other artists that let a camera or you know have multiple cameras set up that just record everything they do, all the creative impulses, you know, and just put it out there. Like you know, it'd be cool to see from other bands, but it's such a secretive, private process. But Metallica, are, you know, very open in that way. But yeah, I agree. I love that footage. So definitely check that out if you're aware of these sort of behind the scenes stuff. Riff Charge is actually a really good one uh, if you want to just something to watch. Things like ten minutes, you know. As you're uh, as you're making dinner on your iPad or whatever, just pop that on. But uh, Hardwired has been performed 97 times, so it's been featured quite a lot in its uh, short life. Uh, first performed August 20th, 2016 in Minneapolis. Uh, last performed May 11th, 2018 in Helsinki, Finland. So that was about uh, a month ago or so from the time I was recording this. So very recently, they 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 love to play this, and I think the crowd love it as well, Dennis. Yeah, the crowd loud, <laughs> really like it, and it, it's great opener. song that i'm quite excited to get into obviously off hardwired at the time i was recording this hardwired's been out about six months or so maybe a little bit more than this this is june 2017 um talk to me about the song i mean was this again just a single that you heard first of all how did you first get into it so of course um i'd been listening to the releases since you know they dropped hardwired in august and then moth into flame in september i think this one came out at the end of October sometime, and mm. I just happened to be on Spotify, and it popped up and said, hey, Metallica released the new single. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's listen to this, and yeah. immediately popped it on and started listening to it. Yeah, and, I mean, talk to me about the song then. So we what, generally, we'll, we'll get into the sort of minutia of the song in, in a moment, but what, what's your general thoughts on Atlas Rise? Um, I really like it. I think it's, um, you know, it doesn't have to be some sort of grand Metallica epic song. I feel like this is kind of like... Um, a tribute sort of to like new wave of British heavy metal. Like mm. I get a lot of that in the song, get a lot of new wave of British heavy metal vibes coming from the song. Yeah. 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 Completely. I mean, I, I would argue, I mean, and kind of a facet of the new wave of British heavy metal was a harmonized guitar. And that this is all over that Atlas Rise. I'd argue this is kind of the epitome of Metallica Harmony guitar. Like, there's a lot of Metallica Harmony guitar out there. I'm thinking about, you know, obviously Master of Puppets in the middle section, towards the end of, of Blackened and stuff like that. And, and they have always played with it in certain paradigms here. But in this song in particular, there's so much, isn't there? Yeah, there's a whole lot of the, the duo guitars um, just after the solo, stuff like that. Um, I really like that stuff. It just yeah. makes everything kind of go up to that extra level, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. I think, you know, Iron Maiden and Finn Lizzy are two of the biggest influences on Metallica, and obviously that was kind of one of their mainstays. Finn Lizzy especially, you know, kind of put that kind of twin harmonies in there sort of thing. But, you know, we kick off with that, that intro. I, I really like the intro to this. I think it's quite a powerful kind of punchy thing. It doesn't outstay talking. It's quite repetitive, but in a quite compelling sense, you know? 
yeah, you know, it kicks off strong, kind of gets everybody ready for what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. It kind of just has that sort of bam, ba bam, bam, ba bam, like that kind of that kind of clatter to it. It's kind of a nice motif careening forward, and then we get into that that sort of that pedal point riff, that kind of like which is very. You were talking about like new wave heavy British metal. It's kind of hard to say that actually. New wave of British heavy metal is kind of a bit of a tongue twister there, but um, again, it kind of you know making use of that open E. It does have that kind of you know back in the day essence to it yeah it sounds really like like i said i just really get that whole vibe of it i feel like you know their music is all about it's based on that you know they just took it to another level they added speed to it and heaviness but this one really feels like if i had to pick one song that would be british heavy metal this would be it yeah yeah no i i, I can't deny that at all um i mean it's funny actually just did um am i evil recently with martin popoff kind of the, you know the, the the old garage ink sort of stuff and that's in this mode yeah. as well and you know i mean the, the, and the album as a whole like we were just speaking earlier about uh you know the sort of guitar hero death magnetic mixes and stuff like this the hardwired album as a whole including atlas rise it sounds so good it just sounds so chris james voice sounds fantastic the drums sound brilliant yeah it's the production is miles ahead of death magnetic like i really like the album but mm. there was some muddiness about the whole thing yeah 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 yeah. it's kind of uh i don't know it's just all a bit sort of quite brash wasn't it it didn't it didn't have kind of a lived in quality of lots of instruments existing together it felt almost demo-y um yeah yeah you know you know to to a certain extent and then you know the song sort of sort of pushes forward here i think i don't i don't mind that main riff that i kind of had to grow on me a little bit when i first heard it it felt almost a bit I don't know, it was a bit random, sort of, I like, musically it makes sense, it's not atonal or anything, but it just didn't seem to stick with me so much, but when you kind of encounter the song as a whole, and, uh, you know, I love James's singing here, that, oh, you bet, like, you know, you really feel like he's crushed below an Atlian weight. Yeah, he really goes into it there. Um, also, right before they go into that, you know, middle section, not middle mm. section, the, uh, the chorus, yeah. Lars's drumming, I really love the, the little, I don't know how to describe it, I'm not a drummer, so right, I don't right, do so right. well with <laughs> Kind of sounds like double bass. I'm not sure if it all is, but before they go into the all you bury does that, and then after each of the lines, I really love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the harmonies on that all you bear as well. The sense of kind of moving, moving up and up, and and, and you know, and we said again about the idea of harmony here, and here explicitly yeah. in guitar, where when he's singing, "Dead dies, you suffer in vain." You know, like what? What do you think about having that guitar behind the sort of vocal melody? I, you know, it's something that I really like, you know, listening to a whole lot of, you know, music like this and stuff. Like I said, it, it, this one specifically, when I first heard it, I thought this really sounded like some sort of Iron Maiden sort mm, of thing because mm. it sounds like something they would do with the twin guitars definitely right over the vocals. Um, I think it adds to it. It really yeah. makes the song what it is. Yeah, 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 it definitely does. It's quite a unique thing of theirs as well. Like, you definitely saw none of this on Death Magnetic, n- nothing yeah. really going to this sort of territory, and, and not too much on Hardwired as a whole, really, but it is a great sort of pay-on to that to that early days, and I think it was this song, Hardwired and Moth Into the Flame, that were kind of the, the you know, the free punch, the sort of get-people-taster of the album, and, you know, personally, Moth is probably my favourite of the three, but I think this is, you know, still a really, really strong song here, and it kind of makes me laugh as well, because when we have the chorus, we go back into hearing that riff before we get into the main verse and sort of kirk he just sort of does like a kirkness on the song you know what i mean he plays like <laughs> a quite empty lead like it's fine and it, and it has its place but other guitar like i am going to sort of critique kirk in a moment as well as we get onto the solo but and i, I think i think you know um ethan and clint from metal up your podcast as well they're, they're on the same page as me here they they sort of recognize that 
Hardwired isn't Kirk's album, really. He doesn't really do anything interesting on it. He apparently lost his phone full of riffs, but I saw an interview yeah. with James afterwards. James said, like, oh, he just didn't have any riffs. Like, the phone thing was kind of an excuse. Like, you know, the stuff he was bringing wasn't good enough. And to be, to be fair, though, it's hard because I was, re- I was reading um, Mick Wall's book recently about Jason Newstead and sort of the idea of him in the band and how he wanted more songwriting credits. But at the end of the day, if you're in a band with James Hetfield, you've got to do something brilliant to get it on record above him. You know yeah what, you, you know what i mean like like you know james and lars are definitely like the hive mind they are yeah. you know what makes metallica metallica yeah 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 and there's another good point in that book actually where mick was talking about dave mustaine um being c- kicked out of the band quite early and the idea or at least his theory was and it kind of makes sense it wasn't necessarily that dave was so destructive or alcoholic as, as a lot of the other band members were apparently dave was quite nasty but i was reading a story about james actually james could be quite a nasty drunk as well so so maybe it wasn't that level it, it was the idea that dave was a leader and there wasn't enough room in this band for free leaders like you know i think hive mind is correct really you need lars and james there at the epicenter but having another driver it's you know it's not going to get anywhere going there so kirk you know kirk does what he does and and the guitar sort of comes back in the riffs kind of come back in we get a kind of dunderheady sort of bridge riff that, that isn't bad <laughs> but you know it's kind of kind of a bit, bit ploddy but not bad and then and then yeah. kirk's guitar solo which it's just it's just sort of noise to me like it's kind of exciting on a visceral level like but when you actually sort of pick it apart it's just he's not doing anything like he's just making sound yeah i was listening to it a few times um you know i've listened to it a whole lot but i was listening to it a few times before the the show here and um i i just get the idea you know i, I hear the wah and like that's mm, one of the mm. worst things i feel about <laughs> kirk Hammett is he plays too much wah and stuff and oh, i know yeah. a lot of people feel that way but i can really hear it in this song and it's like well it's okay but it's like come on yeah the wah you know yeah yeah you know it, it's completely a crutch like you know i mean we've seen that kind of got birthed in the load reload era where he's playing a lot of boring blue solos and you do put that wah underneath it just to give it a bit more of a pull but it's not really being used in any kind of interesting way what what i do love uh guitar wise about this song though is the solo sort of does its thing sort of thing and then we hear and then it just kind of pulls the song back in that, that that kind of repeated chorus motif and i i, I love i love the guitar heroics uh towards kind of you know the four or five minute moment of this song it's great that you know 30 odd years into this metallica career kirk and james can still be you know guitar heroes and just riff it up yeah um they just they still have it i don't, I don't think they've missed a beat it no. just either it, it gets better it just kind of uh ferments it gets better yes. you know yeah 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 there's deep ferments um for hetfield and co definitely and you know this song is um obviously off the new record so they're playing it live yeah. all the time as of now as of when he recorded this the 18th of june atlas rise has been performed 38 times it was first performed in colombia uh the the capital bogota uh november 1st 2016 and last performed just two days ago when they're in dallas june 16th which i think they just uploaded sad but true um from dallas on the, on the YouTube channel, their official YouTube channel. I mean, I know you're seeing them soon. You must be so excited because they're, they're playing like absolute like monsters. Yeah, um, this is like uh, the best I've ever heard them sound on their YouTube channel and any video that I've seen. Like they've always sounded good, but like I think they've they've either found the sound that they want to use on tours or something like that. Because mm. even if you go back to you know three or four years, like 2012 or something like that, they sound good. But this is like a whole new good. This yeah. is like. 110 percent as opposed to 100 yeah no i can i completely agree um i actually made a video um the other day which i uploaded on the youtube channel which people should check out and it's basically 
Metallica have been going, what, 81 till now, 2000, um, 2017. So about 36, 37 years, something like that, on film at least. And I cut a clip. I did about 40 seconds from each year just going through, and you could sort of see the progression of the band and see them moving forward. And they seem to be getting kind of better and better and better. I think a lot of people agree that kind of the peak was probably 89, the sort of Justice Tour. They yeah. were just, you know, absolute beast. That Seattle show is incredible. And then, you know, through the 90s, they, they, you know, they, they, there was no real newcomers. They were still going well but kind of post St. Anger you know they kind of dipped quite a bit actually there's a, there's, a, there's a 2005 performance of them doing Orion which is like one of my favourite songs it's kind of bad like I, I can't quite put my finger on why but it just doesn't it, isn't, it doesn't it lacks that kind of soul and that tightness but I like you say I'm so happy to see that as of late they are just you know crushing it live like and they seem so happy as well like they always yeah, yeah. you know and why, I guess why wouldn't you be but, but you know they, in, in the situation they're in they seem to be relishing it and you know just slaying slaying these stadiums and you know yeah I, i'm seeing them uh in the uk in their sort of arena tour later in the year but i would love i would have loved to have to have gone to the st louis show or whatever you know the show that you've got coming up or the dallas show they they are in this irrevocable form like you, you must you must be out of your mind man like it's so close yeah it's it's insane i i can't wait um the only thing i'm dreading is standing in the line to get up there because i have general admission so i'm gonna try to get as close as i can yeah. but i don't have any sort of you know special entry but you know um you know you're right like you know the 89 show seattle like that's the pinnacle like mm, that's the mm. best metallica show i think they've ever recorded Probably, and they've yeah. ever done and around that time is the greatest thing but this is like the second best yeah. it could have ever been yeah, yeah um yeah. but th- you know this song sounds really good live speaking of live um mm. every time i've heard it it sounds just, just as good or better than the record um and talking about the close of the song, like when he when he goes into the end of it, when he says Atlas Rise for the last time, he goes into that long yeah. sort of, you know, that's probably one of my favorite parts, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Hetfield's vocals on this, you know, I cannot mark anything against them. He sounds brilliant. Yeah, Rise, like, you know, yeah, he does have yeah. that power in his voice here. And, you know, there's there's very sort of like Hetfield words in this that he likes to sing, like, you know, reje- yeah. rejection, perception, perfection, <laughs> like, you know, the kind of, the way yeah. he just kind of spits it out there. Blame the world and blame your maker. Wish him to the undertaker. There's the, the, the rhythms that come up in the verses are excellent. Like, altogether, I think Atlas Rise is strong. I think what I like about Atlas Rise is they're not necessarily trying too many new things, but they're going back to older ideas here and, and they still work, you know, they, they can still, um, okay. Oh, another harmony thing that I guess we uh, might have glossed over, um, the day that never comes towards mm-hmm. the end of that, that has quite a lot of harmonized guitar kind of running in and out of it. But yeah, uh, Atlas Rides, I mean, a strong track, I guess, uh, lyrically as well. James can, he has this odd thing of his lyrics where he can be kind of almost frustratingly vague and then very powerfully laconic as well. So, you know, it's sort of the opening bitterness and burden curses rest on thee. I mean, (laughs) using the word thee uh, is, uh, you know, quite quite an old timey thing there. Solitaire and sorrow all eternity. Like, what does that really mean? Like, I don't, don't, you know, again, it's kind of a lot like astronomy here, but then there can be really powerful stuff as well. And I like how it's all tied into this idea of, you know, Atlas and and kind of the, the stress of the world on your back something and the title as well atlas comma yeah. rise exclamation mark it kind of you know it kind of enter sandman almost it's kind of just a one-two sort of punch of you know what what is this actually going to be about but i mean all in all atlas rise for you it's quite a good track yeah uh i would say it's up there in the stronger tracks um of course the whole disc one of hardwired is really good um mm. this two is good too but you know it's not as good as disc one but i feel like it's a it's a good follow-up song to hardwired it kind of delves deeper than just a simple chugging riff you know Gives you some more substance. Mm-mm. And I agree what you said. It is 
an album of two halves, isn't it, really, where the first disc quite a bit stronger? Yeah, um, you know, the, the whole first disc has, like, probably the six, well, strongest songs minus Spit Out the Bone. Um, but, the, you know, the second half, there's a couple of songs that I don't really care for. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of Murder One. I get it to win me tribute, you know, and that's cool, but mm. it's not for me. Um, probably, like, half the songs on there I just don't really care for on the second disc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think the first, you know, Hard Words, Great Atlas, obviously, is very good, as we said. I quite like Now That We're Dead. I've, I, yeah yeah I, I like it grown on me quite a bit but it's almost like a pop song in a certain yeah it's sense. sort of poppy yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, but i still like it i dig it yeah you know? yeah yeah no, <laughs> de- definitely um i don't know if you saw them play it on colbert um a few a few months ago they did like a sort of uh shorter kind of more tv friendly version it was a bit slower as well that that was quite good moth i absolutely adore um oh I, yeah you know i think i think the song's like terrific i think it's like one of the best songs i've recorded in years dream, oh yeah you know dream no more i don't I don't mind dream no more I think a lot of people love that chorus it's I, I like dream no more as you know it's an all right song um mm. i'm glad they haven't played it a whole, whole lot i think they've played it like once or twice so far mm. i don't know why people tend to really really like that a whole lot um people are calling for that to be in the set list instead of sad but true so <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the thing, because I've seen a lot of people online on the Reddit and stuff be a bit like, oh, Metallica set list, you know, they never change it sort of thing. But, you know, one, they're playing to the biggest audience, you know, the mass market audience to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so they've got to sort of play the hits. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but I'm seeing them for the first time this year. This is your fir- first time seeing them. I want them to play whatever they want. Like, I would happily watch Sad But True and Enter Sandman, like... Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel the same way. I don't mind the bigger hits. The only thing that I'm worried about, this is my biggest concern for the show. Mm. I want to hear Creeping Death Live because I want to be a part of that experience with oh. the crowd in the middle of the you know song. Yeah. Everybody's chanting die. I just want that. <laughs> and they haven't played it on every show, and I guess I'll, be under, I'll understand if they don't play it, but that would just make everything right there. And today we're talking about a song off Hardwired. We're recording this in April 2019. In November 2019, it'll be three years since Hardwired came out, which wow. I can't really fathom that, to be honest with you. It feels like it came out just yesterday. How has your opinion changed? I can't quite remember. Are you a giant Hardwired guy? Are you kind of off with it? What was it? Um, I mean, I liked it when it came out. I really, really enjoyed it when it came out. And um, it's still there but it's you know now that we've had yeah almost three years i mean that's hard to hard to believe you know it's it's settled it's settling in i'm like okay you know it's not not as high as it once was but it's still a pretty solid album from front to from front to back this song is one of the more notable tracks off the album i mean they've all been given videos and stuff like that so we're, we're kind of out of that single world at the moment but um the song is played a lot and you know it's quite catchy and i think they played it on stephen colbert as well which annoyingly i can't find on youtube anymore i think they yeah did, i can't either no i was looking for that too yeah yeah they did like a pared down i think it's like a free four minute version for tv and yeah. i think it worked a little bit better because this is a long 
long song. This is, mm-hmm. you know, almost seven minutes, six minutes, 59. So it's one of the longer songs on Hardwired, which is already a long song on a double album. Um, you know, we open... We have a bit of a fade in there with the chords, getting into that dependable Hetfield chug. And, and you know, it's basically 90 seconds of build. There isn't too much going on. It's very Sandman-esque, where the riff is introducing itself. And that's not to say it's not enjoyable, you know, when you hear that, now, 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 now. Like, I can't help but sort of internally headbang. Um, yeah. What, what do you make about this intro, the drums, the guitar, all that? So... I actually like that little bit of like feedback right in the, right mm, before the song mm. starts. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. It's a cool touch. And, uh, yeah, it, it really is. You know, it, that was probably was, you know left in because I know um, from like reading about the song, you know, Lars had said that a lot of the guitar and drum tracks came off the floor because they had a version that was very very tight and it had like it sounded like it had no life. Right. So yeah, this is you know it grooves pr- pretty well. And it reminds me of a Judas Priest song of like anything from like their mid eighties, okay. you know, catalog that dun 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 dun. Obviously it's much longer and you know, I've used I've brazzed you in the past for songs being like, <laughs> That's right. for, That's for, right. like yeah. songs being too long, but I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. Like this song is is good. It doesn't need to be seven minutes long. No, no, absolutely. It's not kind of like a justice epic where there's loads of hairpin turns and tie signature changes. It's very accessible. I mean, we'll get to the chorus, which is one of the most singable, catchy choruses in decades. I'm a bit puzzled as to why it is as long as it is. This 90 seconds as we build to Hetfield singing, my problem is I've got I've got no issue with it being 90 seconds. It's just compositionally, there's nothing new being said. It's just establishing this riff that we're going to hear throughout the song. It's not like, I don't know, you know, a justice and justice for all where we've got that melody opening it up or, you know, say we covered Fade to Black, obviously one of the greatest songs ever. Quite a long song, but so many parts in that song and it just builds and wavers. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a head scratcher really i think this could have been a real you know huge single for them if they just pared it down to like three four minutes yeah i i completely agree um i do feel that this was probably just a jam and they're like ah fuck it let's let it ride yeah so that's really what it feels like you know it's like especially like like jumping around a bit especially after the solo you know it just feels like a jam oh yeah definitely and they're like you know what yeah fuck it let it go, you know, yeah. it, it, it's fine. But yeah, it doesn't, doesn't need to be seven minutes long, four minutes. No. Perfect, perfect length for that no, no. song. And I mean, this is an accusation that I volley at later era Metallica all the time. You know, Hardwired, Death Magnetic, St. Anger. That You know, they are just a bit in surplus here to a certain extent. And look, they're, they're incredibly rich, very successful rock stars. And who am I to tell them what to do? But I mm-hmm. would hope for them pairing it down slightly. It is anthemic, though, as it builds, and it is mm-hmm. exciting, and they do play with dynamics well. The dong, 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 the chug, let's use the use of space, the use of harmonics before we get to the main riff. You know, the song is a little flabby, perhaps, but it's never really boring. And I think, as with all of Hardwired, the instruments, Hetfield's voice, sounds so clean, so sparkling, so, so there, you know? Yeah, it does. And I was listening, actually, right before... Um right before we you know we, we got on i was listening to the song and yeah it just sounds so alive mm. it sounds especially the drums they sound so yes. good drums sound incredible you're right yeah i, I mean everything sounds so good on, on the song and yet while it's simple it you know simple you know can be you know simple is good and it just it drives forward 
it doesn't take any unnecessary risk and it just sounds sounds good and it's like it's a good head head bobber you can like yep listen to it you know and tap your toes on the, on the floor and it just grooves along. It really does have a good groove to it. You know, oh. while it's long, it does it grooves very well. It does. It absolutely does. Um, it has a kind of distinct poppy steel to it that carries it along as we go through. You know, James' lyrics as well, he always likes to rely on call and response structures. So when Reaper calls, when Doubt returns, when we're seduced, that's sort over of there. Some of the lyrics are a little bit strained for me. Again, I'm a bit of a broken record here. I've never seen Hetfield as like a Bob Dylan, John Lennon type figure that some people do as this profound lyricist. There's certain kind of metal cliches like, when doubt returns, may it be that faith shall permeate our scars. It's like, mm-hmm. what? It sounds like it's from The Elder or something, you know? Yeah, and I know, like, reading up on the on the lyrics, um, it does sound a lot like, you know, it's a song based on on faith in particular the the christian idea of like life after death and life eternal and i know like he's you know james has been a little bit more coy with with explaining the the lyrics to his songs i think because he really wants like that universality of of the lyrics to touch everyone so he kind of throws things in there but yeah out of all the songs on on the album this one definitely has some interesting vocabulary choices some interesting you know ideas thrown in there that you're like well it could be this it should be this but james says that and it doesn't quite doesn't quite pair up yeah and the 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 title for metallica is quite playful and you know it it definitely sticks out like i I don't know about yourself but i listen to quite a lot of sort of you know pop punk like day to remember four four years strong and they it's all about titles for them and sort of goofiness and now that we're dead obviously is kind of um it's an odd proclamation and it sticks out and I, i i quite like the tone of it yeah and it's it's it definitely stood out from you know on the track list like now that we're dead you know, I remember, you know, when they released the, the track listing, where, you know, you're trying to guess what kind of song it would be. You know, is it going to be about zombies? Is it going to be about <laughs> this or that? And it's almost like this, as James said, it's like a Romeo and Juliet kind of a song about, like, love and going through things together and, you know, having life, you know, eternal and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, and it's very, very poppy and very accessible. So yeah. it's it's almost like a contradiction of, like, having the title now that we're dead could be very grim very you know very metal but it's also almost uplifting to a degree it is and um i don't know if you've seen the video on the metallica website they did all the sort of lyric explore videos um Mm -hmm. i'll just play a quick clip here yeah at the end of the day we're all the same uh having something to believe in have maybe there's an afterlife maybe uh you know it started out as wanting to be more of a modern day Romeo and Juliet, um, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, helping each other through life. And, you know, now that we're dead, I mean, that could mean lots of things. Actually, you're dead. (laughs) You're on to the next life. Or, you know, you've gone through something horrible as a couple. Now we're on the other side of it. You know, now that we're dead, we can live forever. We've gone through that, you know. So trusting in another person. And at the end of the day, your behaviors, whatever you've done, they're just behaviors. You can amend them. You can make up for them. And there's also an exploration feel of like, I don't know what's next. Come on, let's, let's try it. Let's go. 
But James says in that clip, um, you know, it's about going through something and, you know, going through a tragedy, perhaps, and kind of feeling like you've died afterwards, but having faith that you can continue in that. And, you know, I can totally understand that reasoning. And that is quite a powerful message. But you are right. I have seen other interviews where he is quite, quite coy about this idea and that lyric. And it clearly means a lot to him. And, um, you know, there's lots of successes on this song. The pre-chorus is really cool. The All Sinners of Future, very catchy. Um, mm-hmm. I watched a few live videos and I, I saw him in Birmingham playing this song. Um, and uh, I remember when he says Return to Ash, because it's a chuggy song. James can do a lot with his hand when he's playing it. He can like do yeah. motions. And he talks about um, the dawn and he sort of puts it, you know, looks over on the dance floor. And when he says Return to Ash, he points to the ground. And the now that we're dead, my dear, we can be together. I mean, the chorus is just gigantic, isn't it? It's built around it and it, it's a triumph. Oh yeah, it's 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 definitely it's yeah it's a, it's a chorus a triumph. It, it very is very uplifting, in it, while again having like this kind of contradiction of like now that we're dead we can live forever and just the way he phrases things and the way that he says things, it is it's very powerful, very uplifting, and he, you know he he puts the emphasis on the words you know when when they need it so. Like very successful in that. Despite how anthemic this song is, there still is some Metallica DNA here, you know, when the song's like, and it -hmm. plays with certain time signatures and switch things up, which I really do appreciate. And it's not just kind of making it a sort of monotonous chugger that it could be. Um, There's a lot of elements to that song. We build to the solo quite well, I think. I quite like how it goes Mm -hmm. forward. There's proggier elements. And what, what do you think of Kirk's actual lead playing? Um, not one, not no. one of his best <laughs> moments. I mean, the, certainly not. The be- yeah, the beginning part of it is just like this, this like petering of sounds. Yeah, and it, yeah. It kind of builds into something, you know, into yeah. something decent. Not, not, not a highlight for Kirk for sure. No, no, I completely agree. Um, as I always say, I think for the next album, Lars just needs to make an iPad app that just has like 200 Kirk sounds and then just press press the buttons and put them together because you're going to get something a little better than that. It's interesting, um, <laughs> you know, they do all the uh, the making of, now that we're dead, we're supposed to call Tin Shot, apparently. That was the working title. And there's a great video of them, you know, talking about the song. And it's, it's a really good thing. And in the Kirk section, the first solo he plays, but it's really called cool Descending Legato that I actually really like and they kind of pull from that and it's kind of symptomatic of the issue because he plays a few solos and Greg the producer says to him like oh there's a lot of stuff in that Kirk and it's like a producer shouldn't say that a guitarist should come to producer with a fully formed solo or they should hammer out the parts whereas it seems almost the expectation now is that oh Lars will rebuild this in Pro Tools and it does feel like a very like narratively the solo doesn't really make sense and it's just it's such a shame because this is a good song by Metallica and I just think like a good like a great solo could have put the bow on top I uh, absolutely and um I lost my train of thought for a second yeah it really is kind of like you know what you know watching you know watching Kirk you know put together the solo I do I do recall him saying that for this album you know like instead of prepping for the songs you know he would play more by feel kind of like what Richie Blackmore would do with Rainbow and, mm-hmm. and Deep Purple in the seventies, and kind of just lay down, you know, a track and not really think about it. And you know, while that can benefit some people, I feel like with Kirk, it's better for him to do his homework on the song and see what what would serve the song the best. And in this case, you know, yeah, he pulled some good things, 
But again, it, you're right. It doesn't serve the narrative of the song. It just, it just sounds like noise. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. There's lots of deep bends and dips and, and, and pull-offs, etc. that we always expect and fretboard theatrics to a certain extent, but none of it's very compelling. And that video as well, the Tin Shot video, I want to urge people to, to watch it. I'll just play a clip now of when James Lars talk about the lyrics. You know, like in uh, the last song in St. Anger, what's it called? All within my hands. All within my hands. How you sort of get like desperate and it's like, ah, oh, within my hands. Fuck. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just delivered. fucking, there's a short circuit in there. It just feels like, is there some place that's a little more intense vocally than where we are right now? It sounds, it's, it sounds to me like you're containing, you're containing what you're saying. It sounds like it's, you know, what happens if you sort of take the lid off? Does it do anything? Like a little bit, like say, all oh, within my hands is just the first example where it's just kind of you you go to some different place emotionally. Do you know what I mean? And maybe this is not the song of the lyrics for not the lyric <laughs> for sure. But that's the first example. Now that we're that dead, comes... we can live forever. I mean, all within my hands, I want to fucking kill everything. That's, I that's pretty different. I get what you're saying. I mean, this to me is more like Rome. I mean, what happens in wherever I may Rome? Because there's the extended thing that we've done in a few of these songs. What makes that one better? Does, is, or is that lacking something? It's not like you're doing the, you know, Sonny and Cher key change, you know? Right. So what Rome does is, like what you suggested, to stay higher. Stay higher on something right. instead of doing a melody and i don't know if you remember that part when um because it's it's interesting where lars doesn't remember what the last song of saint anger's called <laughs> yes yeah which, which i mean oh. you know whatever we all have our brain farts but i thought come on bro like you wrote that like yeah sometimes he does that every once in a while he's like yeah what's that song and it's like yeah. lars you like you knew That's like sandman lars like yeah you know another, yeah, another yeah. interesting thing too about that video um is that i don't know if you picked up on this or not but for me, I, I find it interesting that they refer to wherever I may roam quite a bit when they make songs. Mm -hmm. It's like when they're talking about the, the phrasing of, of, of the lyrics and how James was saying, it's like, yeah, it's like in Rome. And I noticed they've done that a couple times with other songs like in Death Magnetic. They refer, they've referred to wherever I may roam as a bass point. So I just find that a little, yeah, I find it interesting right. how they hold that song in, in pretty high regard Yeah, f for whatever reason. And like, it's a good song. You know, I can see that. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, it's very interesting yeah it is and you know i love seeing the candid nature of them sort of talking about where they want the vocal to go in terms of intensity referencing rome and referencing you know um james saying how it's quite structurally quite high on the register and then going back and forth on that and lars's ideas of all within my hands being a reference point for mm -hmm. um, now that we're dead clearly don't grow to fruition like they, the song goes in a much more accessible extent but i like how they're bringing that in like you know i make no bones about the fact the episode with dave i think it was like the fourth episode all in my hands i really really enjoy that song and after the solo we sort of get the feedback washes and then as you said before james jamming out the riff which is kind of fun and we see bits of it in the video as well but that's a section that just isn't needed that minute i don't know why it's really there well, yeah, I you know same before. I just think they were jamming and they just left it in, mm -hmm. you know. And I feel that if 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 they left that out for the studio version, but they included that for the live version, 
I would be totally fine with that because I can see that part being reminiscent of a little bit of like King Nothing or like sure. throwing like a Outlaw Tour jam in there. You know, I just feel like they, yeah, unnecessary. It was left in there because it's like, yeah, it's cool. You know, it kind of, you know, kind of bridges the solo back to the last chorus. And I just felt, and I just felt like they just left it there, you know, because, you know, why the fuck not? So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a little bit puzzling, but you know, again, this is the band, and it is their one to do. And then we go back pretty much into the main chorus, the main song. We get another go around, and there's a slight difference towards the end. The return to Ash shed this skin beyond the black. We rise again, and you know, then the song finishes out, and it, you know, all in all, it is an enjoyable track. I d- listened to it over the last week or so had fun as i always do but you know the feeling couldn't escape me that it needs a little bit of pruning um, any uh, final notes on the song nick so i i've had the pleasure of seeing this song twice in the last two years i saw it on the the stadium run in the u.s and in, in the um arena run mm-hmm. and we didn't quite talk about the uh, the live version with with the drum section yeah i was gonna get onto that yeah the, the drum circle right yeah the drum circle mm-hmm. so Something that's interesting about that that my my, my wife made an observation about because she's a musician and music teacher mm. that the drum part and it's a lot more noticeable in the um, earlier arena runs the drum parts they're playing is actually the, that jam part that we talk about between the solo and the last chorus it's it's that it's those little riffs on on the drums and and I had never noticed that because yeah. she's like yeah they, they figured out the parts. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. But listening back this week, I'm like, holy shit, I never noticed that. Never. So now the later stadium, the, the later arena run, it's more James just fucking around and having fun. But yeah, listen to like those earlier stadium shows that Metallica did with the drum circle. And you pick up on it, especially when you listen to the songs back to back, like the studio version and the live version. I really picked up on that, which, again never even thought about it so i'm like why are they just like kirk's just randomly hitting stuff at certain yeah. times and he looks bored but um you know <laughs> he, does. he does yeah 119 times this song has been played live so i'm pretty sure it's been played on pretty much every date of the worldwide tour um january 11th 2017 in south korea it was debuted it was last played at the time i was recording this march 13th grand rapids michigan 2019 and yeah i saw it in birmingham and you know, it's it's a fun concession to the crowd, and it's kind of it's enjoyable to see James with his guitar slung at his back, banging on this square drum. But I don't I don't know if I need it, Nick. To be honest, I don't. I, don't, I wonder who brought it to the group, and I wonder who said okay. It's like as a one off, maybe. But they pretty much do it every time they play the song. Yeah, yeah. Um, I it very again very puzzling as to why. Because they, they've, now that we're they've never done anything like this before. Never. Right. I mean, the the closest thing I can think of is the extended version of Seek and Destroy. Yeah. That's about it. But yeah, to introduce this whole brand new part that has nothing to do with the song. I, 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 I mean, fuck if I know. Yeah. I do I do recall um, reading that James is a big fan of, of like drum corps and mm-hmm. drum line. So... Maybe that played a role in it. Maybe Lars played a role in it. And again, I don't know why this song in particular. Like you could have just done like a like an, an extended jam, <laughs> more so like between the solo and the in, in, in the end of the song, than to have an entire two minute drum you know circle. So 
very puzzling. Yeah. It's a nonplus to it. You know, I know like my wife loves that, you know, absolutely adore that part. I, I could take it or leave it. Um, if they're having fun, hey, you know, it's their song, mm-hmm. you know. Yo, but yeah. Carpe diem baby, as James has said, you know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, as always, we open it up to you guys on Twitter, at MetallicaPod. If you don't follow us already, before every song, I will put out um, a little request for your little brief reviews. And we got quite a few on today's song. Tommy Trinkler says, who's been on the show many times, shout out Tommy, says, a decently heavy track with a delicious groove that makes me bob my head, infectiously catchy chorus with an anthemic, even poppy feel that will be stuck in my head till well after I forget my own name in scenality. That is second <laughs> only to Here Comes Revenge in that respect. And um, yeah, I completely agree. I, I said this on the Here Comes Revenge review, Nick. That again, like this song, has kind of a poppy chorus in the best possible way. Yeah, you know, and that song actually kind of you know, rose up for me after they played it live. I'm like, oh, that, not yeah. that I would skip the song, but I'm like, eh, it's not one of my favorites. But after hearing it live, I'm like, oh, this song actually is really good. Yeah, yeah it does have like that big, you know, that big chorus part, you know, mm-hmm. you know, very, very simple. So, yeah, yeah, they both work in that in that regard. Yeah, I lo- yeah, I love Here Comes Ren, Jesse Grunham, even since the episode. Tommy saying, again, far from my favourite on the album, but I really enjoy Lars's drum work on this track. It feels different from his past work. Phil saying, Phil was just recently on the show for No Remorse, saying, I can take it or leave it in a live setting. Let's replace it with a death magnetic track. I mean, yeah, I can't disagree with you there, Phil. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear a My Apocalypse in this slot, but it looks like they're going to keep playing this for a while. Ralph saying, Song is a live staple on the current tour. I've actually seen it performed four times. The drum circle bit is okay, but gets a little stale after a while. However, the guys seem to be having fun doing it. So I said I should just have at it. The song is fantastic live all overall. Uh, Aiden saying, Snorefest. Uh, the, pi- <laughs> the pizza. That's a little hard. <laughs> I know Aiden, Aiden's a younger listener. I think he's in his early oh. teens. So okay, you know. I'll, 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 I'll let him go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Master of Pun saying pretty good song. Quite enjoy it. The pizza saying the drums. Effing drums. Uh, Tritton saying I like the Aya Beholder intro and the little jam in the middle reminds me a lot of the Outlaw Torn. It definitely feels like a third track type of song for a rock metal album. Steven saying Steven was just on the show recently as well. I guess it will be out in the future of Wolf of Man from Metallic Chat Podcast. Shout out Steven. It wasn't initially my favourite Hardwired song, but it's really grown on me. There's a beauty in its simplicity. It's a track you can tell your dad to listen to and he'll dig <laughs> it, which, yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, yep. o-, o Canada saying, Jesse, I loved it from the moment I heard it. There's an interview Hetfield did when the album came out where he's discussing the meanings of the lyrics. He's incredibly vague and a bit touchy about the meaning in this song, so I feel its meaning is strongly personal for him. And finally, Michael says, the best on hardwired for my money a perfect blend of groove dynamics and powerful lyrics feels like the black album had a baby with load <laughs> Which, yeah yeah okay i mean is, is it the best on hardwired nick to you no 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 that would be uh moth in the flame yeah i i would that's my favorite as well Usually, I'll when I get into albums, I'll play it like crazy, and then I'll get sick of it. But Moth is one of those songs that if it comes up in like a shuffle or something, 
I'll always listen to it and won't skip it. That one is probably one of my favorites is between that and one that I've noticed. I don't know about lately, but I noticed a lot of fans don't care for this one. If you agree with me on this is, uh, now that we're dead on the album, mm-hmm. I really it, like that one. It divides a lot of people. Um, people are either huge acolytes of it, or I think the poppy inflections turn a lot of trues off. Yeah. And I think the reason I like it, and I was reading that a lot of people thought it was their closest of them sounding to the Load Reload era mm. since the Load Reload era. And that's what kind of got me into the band, so that probably the song gives me a little bit of nostalgia, if you know what I mean. And the song itself, I mean, the song begins immediately, we're straight into it, uh, Lars's cymbals are sizzling mm-hmm. away, and it's got yep. a very new wave of British heavy metal kind of dual lead line pulsing at the start, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then into that main riff, which to me is probably, I said this before on the show, is probably the highlight of Hardwired as a record for me. The chug into the, you know, na 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 that kind of, that, that moth yeah. motif, that pirouette into the second section of the riff, which is really tight and chomping and wonderfully executed. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, I cannot get enough of the main moth into flame riff. I've listened to this song hundreds of times and it doesn't fail to, to get me excited as it builds into the first verse. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that. I was, uh, I listened to the song, uh, probably a couple hours before we recorded this just to get myself re-familiarized with it. And I, I agree with that point 100%. That riff comes in and you're like, holy shit, this yeah. is a good fucking song. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't really feel like a Hetfield riff of old. It feels no. like, you know, it's still chuggy, it's still frashy, but he's kind of breaking new ground with some of the note choices. That was one of my main criticisms of Load and Reload. Mm-hmm. You know, it's relying too much on the five seven, on the pentatonic, on the shapes that we've kind of heard before. But you know, if, um, one of the things that I tend to do with the show when we're covering the songs is watch people play it live on guitar as well. I like to see what it just looks like on the fretboard. And there's yep. just lots going on in Marth. There's a hell of a lot of movement going forward. Um, thematically, James has touched on these ideas before. Say like memory remains, you know, the, the the faded starlet, the price of fame, the sunset boulevard sort of stuff. I was actually doing a bit of research for the episode. I didn't realize mm. it was directly influenced by Amy Winehouse. Apparently, James, oh really? Yeah. Apparently, James had watched the 2015 documentary Amy, and he said, "quote The song was somewhat inspired by the Amy Winehouse documentary. When I watched it, it really made me sad that a talented person like that fell for the fame part of it. But to some degree, I see that mentality reflected in daily lives. And uh, what do you make of the lyrics, the ideas?" in this song uh see i love the lyrics Mm. but my biggest thing is people always make fun of me for this is like i'll love the lyrics and i'll sing along with them and do whatever but i'm a person that i ignore the meaning and what i mean by that is i don't pay attention enough to know the meaning Uh, yeah unless like how you explained how he might have gotten inspired by that amy winehouse documentary it makes a lot more sense when i think back about it Mm -hmm. but no i think it's not because obviously a lot of their criticism is uh, some of James's lyrics, especially during the load and reload era, which I like that era, but I will admit there are some pretty dumb lyrics from that time sure. that these lyrics did not seem, it seemed like it was coming from somewhere from James. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it actually, it had a deeper feel to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. And there's like, there's a, there's a poet's eye for a turn of phrase as well. The high times going timeless. I quite like destruction going viral. And structurally, the way the verses start with the double kick, blacked out, tapped out, 
decadence, infamy, him sort of barking this idea, and then it being resolved uh, by the further um, lyrics. The song moves forward at you know a fantastic pace. There's a real catch and release. There's a real earworm of that riff coming in as well. And the song gets really fast and quite dangerous. Like, um, you know, I love the whole, the lighted up section as well. Um, there's oh, a yeah. relentlessness to it. It reminds me a little bit of Broken Beat and Scar. And a lot of Death Magnetic in general, I suppose. It's just very imposing. It's so consistent and wild. I really started to get into the band and pay attention probably about a year after death magnetic came out so that was an album that i was like oh this is what because like i've known i heard san anger load and reload and blackout i grew up with i was like so death magnetic was the closest thing to oh this is what they sound like now and i agree it definitely had that broken beaten scarred and that whole death magnetic feel to it but it modernized it in a way and made it sound better in my opinion yeah yeah, and the the lighted up section as well is bookended by the harmony lines that we hear mm-hmm. at the start of the song, and these come throughout, and I think they blend really well. I think that's something quite new for the band. You know, you didn't really see that in Death Magnetic. Normally, it's just riff pulled on riff. Here, they have these guitars kind of etching out the eaves of the song, and um, the whole you know soldier soul section as well is really strong, and it just has a kind of bark and release. You know, him just going who. Cares cares at all same rise and fall building into the moth into the flame and i mean the moth into the flame as an image it's kind of a classic fable image you know yeah. everyone's familiar with it but it's but it's effective and it's poignant i guess in this context i i i definitely agree with that it's just and you mentioned the music video i thought because it was i remember i think it was had the lamps that were swinging and i just thought mm-hmm. it was from when i was the first time when i was paying attention to it after i found out there wasn't any cursing in and i was like you know what I'm not huge into music videos, but this one has a pretty cool visual to it. It does. It does. I mean, all the hardwired songs got videos. Yep. Um, myself and my friend Sam have now viewed all the videos um, and did a little, I think we did like five episode feature on it and stuff like that. And yeah, the Moth one's definitely a highlight where you get to see the band. It's more of a kind of straight up music video, whereas mm-hmm. some of the other ones are a bit more, you know, out there and obtuse and stuff. But the, the song is packed full of brilliance from Hetfield. I love the opening riff, as I say before. I love the, the other riff as well. You know, that he sings over yep. as well. I, I think that just, that refrain, that twist, again, it's very simple, but I think it works so well with the chug. And, you know, Adam, it's a running theme with the show, and it's became a bit of a parody at this point that I criticise Kirk. I, yep. think, <laughs> I think I think Kirk Hammett is a fantastic guitar player. I think he has some wonderful solo moments. Uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm writing my notes. I'm always kind of writing a two, three weeks in advance. I'm writing my notes mm. for My Friend of Misery. I think, you know, I sort of forgot how good his solo was in that. I just hadn't listened to the mm. song properly for a little while. Um, this is actually a kind of highlight of me, of his solo in Hardwired. Again, narratively, it's not the most compelling mode, but it's kind of hyped. It kind of moves. I like the way it builds. I like the use of wah. And it just adds to the energy and release. I mean, what, what do you make of the lead playing here? Um, I definitely agree with your uh, criticisms of Kirk. Uh, I have fans, I have uh, friends of mine that are fans of Metallica and they shit on Kirk all the time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, I'm a fan of guitar playing myself. I follow a lot of like instrumental guitarists. So I love who, who, Kirk. Who do, you, who do you like instrumentally out of interest? Um, my main, and I've actually seen him three times, uh, Steve Vai. Yo, I, I, I adore Steve Vai. 
I think Steve oh. Isley got. I've never actually seen him. I, no, I saw him live once at a London guitar show, kind of a clinic, but I'd never seen him perform like. But the Ultra Zone, Fire Garden, oh, yeah. Passion mm. and Warfare, they're my shit, man. I love those albums. Oh, yeah. Steve, I, I actually, now I just forgot, I saw him a fourth time with. Uh, Ingve Malmsteen, Zach Wilde. Oh, was that uh, that um, Generation Axe? Yep, and Nuno Bettencourt. Oh, that man. show was insane. They haven't they haven't came to Europe yet, but I would love to. I've watched some of that on YouTube. That's crazy. They didn't. I think they did like Bohemian Rhapsody and shit. I don't know if they did that when you saw them, but they're covering um, I think they did. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, there was so much guitar theatrics. It's kind of hard. to Honestly, remember. it's you, I'm, my father's a big fan of all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. So him and I, we walked out and we were like, uh, we had a headache just because yeah. there's in a good way because yeah, there was yeah. so much. And yeah, if they do come to your neck of the woods, I definitely recommend oh, going no, and seeing it. No, I'm there. I mean, yeah, look, Kirk is no Steve Vai. We don't, <laughs> you know, he's he's not here. And the solo that's played in Muff is not something Steve Vai would, would do. And I think, no. you know, like, I even like Steve Vai when he was in David Lee Roth's band in the 80s. I, do too. I, I think Eatem and Smile is an inc- one of the best rock albums of the 80s. Like, he kind of out Van Halen, Van Halen on that record. And, and Skyscraper yep. as well is fantastic, the, the follow up. But um, yeah, this is kind of a solo that just kind of works purely off visceral energy and you know i don't know if you've watched many of the videos of them in the studio where lars is like coaching kirk through the solos and Mm. this felt like less of a solo that lars had pieced together in the studio on pro tools um it felt more like a a convincing hole but but yeah i I really like the solo but i I don't know about yourself as well it's just like don't be so reliant on Wah. Like, use mm-hmm. Wah at the crescendo in the build, but he's just got Wah throughout the entire thing, and it kind of dilutes it slightly for me. It's always, that's always been, well, not always, but definitely yeah, I mean, since pretty I much. the Black Album. Yeah. That's yeah, been yeah, Kirk's yeah. thing. He loves the Wah pedal. He does. He does. I mean, it kind of um, helps to cover him a little bit as well, I suppose. It kind of makes notes do work when you're not. Um, and that sort of idea, but 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 yeah, it's not spectacular, but the sensation is exciting, and the whole song really, you know, mm. um, it's a fairly long song in terms of sort of modern metal rock song. It's almost six minutes. It's five minutes fifty-one, but I don't think there's a second of it that's really wasted. I think it's composed really well. My judge of a song, usually of songs that I like, is if no matter how long it is, if I'm listening to the song and it ends and I want more then you know it's a good song. And that's how, mm. that's how I feel with Moth and a lot of this album, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I dig Hardwired um, for the most part the album. I do prefer Death Magnetic. I'm one of those guys. I just mm-hmm. I just think it's a bit more interesting. I think there's a little bit of um, flab on Hardwired here and there. Like, again, as I say, I'm working on notes. I'm working on Murder One at the moment. Um, which uh, and and man unkind. Oh no, we covered man unkind recently, but murder one. I'm working mm-hmm. on, and yeah, that's um, that's a little bit um, yeah, OTOs for me, perhaps. But 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 yeah, the song's good, and I like the way that he brings in the na 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 yep. that riff at the end as well. It kind of interrupts Hetfield as they build towards the end. The song replicates the start. The na 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 na. You know, this is a really good song. Um, I have to say, I've got no real criticism against it. I really no. really enjoy it, and I. I will continue to listen to it whenever it comes on the playlist. And um, funnily enough, bit of research on this song, uh, purely off Wikipedia. Apparently, this is the official theme song for an American TV show, uh, TBS's E League, which is kind of like you know, like esports when people play yeah. like video games and stuff. Um, mm. I wasn't aware of that, but it kind of makes sense. I can kind of hear that. 
I wasn't either. You know what? It's funny you say that because I'm getting into radio and I want to have my own show eventually. And uh, I was listening to this and I was like, you know, this could make a good theme song. So it's funny that it is a theme show, yeah. theme song to a TV show. Yeah. And uh, of course, this was a song that they play with Lady Gaga as well at yep. the uh, 59 Grammy Awards where Hetfield's mic wasn't working and he, you know, Did you the hear the uh, the one where the rehearsal version? I think it's way better. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is. And it's it's really cool that um that Gaga was on that as well. And um as we always do, we offer it open to the Twitter at Metallica Pod. Got some good response on this one. Uh Ralph saying standout track on Hardwired and a highlight of the live show. I think it's safe to say that this song is a modern day classic. Nick saying the best Nick saying the best crafted song on Hardwired. My favourite, an instant classic. Instant classic, says Angelo Gonzalez. Uh, a thrasher that has pop sensibilities. Luke saying, must have listened to this one pretty much every day from the day it came out to the day the full album dropped. Certified banger. Tom saying, modern classic. Samuel saying, hard uh, highlight on Hardwired. Connoisseur saying, I love uh, Lars's bass drum sound on this. I mean, everyone's saying it's an instant classic. Like, it's... it's I, I can imagine this being played for a few years to come, you know what I mean? I think it's going on the live Pantheon. Yeah, if they do, if Metallica does ever, and it's still unsure, if they do ever go and make another album and go on another tour like that, I would hope, unlike they do with Death Magnetic, they kind of don't play anything from it. Mm-hmm. I would hope that they play like at least at least Moth in the future. At least Moth, yeah, at least Moth. I agree. I think that would be the one that would carry over. I think this is probably one of the more celebrated tracks on there. And you know, maybe in the future, like we have Justice Medley's. You know, I heard Clint Wells say on Metal Your Podcast recently they should do a Death Magnetic Medley, which would be a really good idea to pull all those riffs out. And I think people would want to hear stuff like Moth on there. The song is played live regularly. It's actually been played 122 times. Um, it was first played in your dear state of New York, uh, September 29th, 2016, that we mentioned before. And it was last played just yesterday, March 4th, in Wichita, Kansas. And, of course, they are going to play it every fucking night of the Worldwide Tour as they continue their domination around the globe. Um, any closing thoughts on the track? Um, on the track itself, uh, I think we wrapped it up pretty well. That A lot so. of the people on Twitter said it. Like, yeah. it, it has the potential to become... If it could break out, of like ever since Load and every album that's after, they kind of they play the tracks when they're on tour, and then you kind of don't hear from them again. I think Moth could be one of those tracks that gets played and lumped in with everything that's usually played on Ride or Puppets or Justice that they bring out. And, as their classics, quote-unquote. Yeah, quote yeah. yeah. Um, I, I should say another thing that I really like is after the end of the second verse, as we get into that movement, when James says, burn, and then it's na-na-na-na-da-da. Like, that riff is so heavy. And it when really he has is. a na-na-na-na-na-na, you know, guarantee your name, you go and kill yourself, the vultures feast around you still, and all that sort of idea. Like, it's just, it's just a really satisfying song. It's just the band sort of calculating and, and, and dominating on a slightly different frequency that still is the essence of Metallica. I think the band plays Play great i think again there's a terrific kirk solo that isn't necessarily what i would deem you know it ain't it ain't like some of alien love secrets uh that yep. our friend mr <laughs> vi would do
getting further into the band then? I mean, obviously we're sort of similar ages, so I, like you, were aware of them in, in sort of St. Anger era, you know, going into Death Magnetic Hardwired. You've been a dedicated fan? Yeah, um, I've truly, truly started sinking into them um, my, uh, when I first got into high school, um, so late 2007. Um, like, I, I, I had an a Metallica shirt, even though I didn't listen to a whole ton of their music, but I liked some of it. What, what, was, uh, what was the shirt? Oof, um, it was the Damage Justice shirt. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, skull. And... My friend, uh, who I had just met, was like, oh, you like Metallica? I was like, yeah. And he's like, what's your favorite song? And, he's like, and I say, Enter Sandman. And he goes, mm, how much do you really know about that? <laughs> You're about um, to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was just off to the races from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've just basically been a rampant fan ever since. Mm-hmm. And Hetfield himself is a rampant fan of, of Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft... <laughs> Uh, which is interestingly quite a big influence on Metallica, you know. And you know, H.P. Lovecraft, for those not aware, sort of American Gothic writer, um, you know, from Rhode Island, Call of Cthulhu, Mountains of Madness. His stuff is very Edgar Allan Poe esque to a certain extent, um, very mind bending and interesting, and a big thing for Metallica, right? Yeah, um, I, I usually try to, um, I, I tend to describe Lovecraft's work as something like H.P. Uh, sorry, <laughs> something like Edgar Allan Poe, right. but more dealing with like the occult and like mystic shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very philosophical um, and, and, and very odd. Yeah, it's a weird nightmare fuel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I read a few of them actually. I remember one of them I read. It was like a guy goes on this journey in New York at night and goes down this cave or something and like comes into this world within a world that's very twisted and odd that exists. Um, and it's just very, very subtle psychological stuff. And you know, the, the way it's used here is probably in H.P. Lovecraft's Mickey Mouse. You know, Cthulhu. Um, something that really is kind of a you know a vanguard for his creations, and we've had the Call of Cthulhu, you know, we, we, yeah. we and you know here we've drew no more yet again evoking mm-hmm. that world. Yeah, and also uh, we've done, or and also you've done all Nightmare Long too. All which Nightmare is, Long is there, yeah, the thing uh, that should not be by extension. And yeah, you know, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I haven't quite managed to get through all of his works, so uh, just because. It is like some of the most densest reading I've mm-hmm. ever tried to tackle. Yeah. Um, like you know, if, if you have a book in one hand, you got to have like a dictionary or the thesaurus in the other hand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan um, of Lovecraft's work, which is why yeah, when when we were uh, figuring out what song I wanted to do, when I saw this was on the list, I was like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I actually I actually have a big old portrait tattoo of uh of hp lovecraft that goes from uh, my left hip up to my like armpit god damn uh, you are yeah. a fan yeah and it's like it was it was a long process but totally yeah. worth it <laughs> yeah i can only imagine yeah he was like i mean just look at on wikipedia actually he 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 died in poverty obscurity basically and you know someone who was appreciated after he died age 46 1937 so there's an ancient feel to these stories as well that i find quite affecting like you know they were envisioned in kind of 
a pre-World War II era, you know, a very disturbed, nonetheless, era. But let, let's get to the song, um, yeah. which, which, which is on Hardwired. Six minutes 30. It's way longer than actually remember it making these notes. Yeah. Um, with you saying that now, I actually don't think I even noted how long it is. Like, it's it's one of those songs that just doesn't feel that long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. No, no. <clears throat> and it, um, it opens with that descending sequence of chords, um, which I think sonically sounds great. I think compositionally... It's not as interesting for me. Kirk sort of does that counter octave melody, which I don't really think is anything. I, I don't know. It's slightly uh, stretched for me personally, Tommy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I still enjoy it, but it's and it's heavy as hell. But right. yeah, like that that intro, like it's low, it's slow, it's heavy, but it doesn't have a whole lot going on mm. um although when they do finally um break into like that main riff like that's when it really comes in for me yeah yeah it's got a sort of load era groove um to it but i think it works mm-hmm. it's very airy um actually in the making of this which is on the metallica channel also known as 91 um which is interestingly crucial year for the band uh, so it's cool that they evoke mm-hmm. that you know Lars says it's more of a memory remains kind of thing. Um, Rob describes that riff especially as being Black Sabbath-esque. Um, and there's a lot of menace to this song, and I think that comes through the silences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, in music, you know, sometimes what you don't do is almost as important as what you do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and oftentimes I feel like whenever they have a song where they do end up showing restraint, because, you know, that it's Metallica, their classic MO is just, you know, metal up the ass. Um, so, like, in songs like this, um, where they do kind of pull back a little bit, it it, uh, it can really go well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and... I think it's I think it's some sort of Simpsons quote where Lisa sees this jazz musician and she's told you have to listen to the note she's not playing, and you know that that does work in this song specifically with the I guess it's the pre-chorus you know the, the he haunts you the na 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 which is one of the most irresistible things I think Metallica have done I think it grips you when you first listen and it's a real earworm but even initially it's such a statement there's such a strut to that that i think works so well oh yeah uh like this is one of those songs where like the very first time i listened to it uh i was on the freeway and i almost had to pull over because i was just grooving with it so hard (laughs) and just like just head banging like Mm -hmm. slowly but oh so furiously Mm -hmm. uh yeah um yeah and and um by that um, and also around that time, and also earlier than that in the in the verse, um, I love the double tracking vocals. It gives mm. it a real eerie, like almost like an Alice in Chains feel. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah and that's not really something that uh, these guys do much. So it's it's cool to hear, yeah, something a little more fresh like that. Mm, mm. But the bands have a lot of mutual influence on each other. Um, you know, Metallica in the audience for Alice in Chains Unplugged, 
Um, yeah, Fred, friends don't let friends cut friends' hair. That's right. Like that. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Apparently, Jerry Cantrell <laughs> played Battery, a bit of Battery as well, um, during the video section, which I've not actually seen. Uh, we spoke about that briefly before on the show, but the, for, oh, yeah. you know, for me, the um, the the lyrical content, the imagery, you know, seems to inspire James, and I really like a lot of the opening stuff, you know, sleeps under the black seas waiting, dr- dreaming in death, and and then the sleeps under Cosmo shaking, stars granting his breath, which, again, beneath Cosmos, but still, you know, feeding on the essence of the galaxy. I, I don't know, it, it's good for me. Yeah, it's it's one of those uh, one of those songs where on the first listen, you're like, okay, hmm. I can tell this is badass. Right. I think I need to listen to it two or three hundred times to yeah. truly grasp this. <laughs> um yeah and you know he haunts you he binds your soul which goes over that riff that we discussed before all of it compacts together when he says loathes you as well the sort of high-pitched squealing the the, there's ambient sort of you know horror effects for want of a better term that all just makes it very evocative oh yeah um and like a lot of those like you know they have a handful of moments in this song where they're doing where they do those kind of like evocative sounds um and i was watching um the little i don't know like 30 40 second clip on uh, metallica.com uh, where he's discussing the lyrics um and he's right. saying so you know this is this song is connected to call it call cthulhu and mm. and uh think there should not be and that stuff like that but this one in the call of cthulhu they're calling cthulhu in this one cthulhu is answering mm-hmm mm. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that I like that consistency. That's Pixar esque from Hetfield. Uh, yeah. I think I think that really works. But the the he haunts you, he binds yourself. You know, for me I consider that really the pre chorus and the chorus being the you turn to stone, which is slightly more thrashy, slightly more sludgy of a mo- of a movement. Oh yeah, I mean it's that's basically molasses. It's mm. just this thick, slow, yeah. just heavy heavy stuff that's yeah yeah, yeah. Lars sounds uh, great on it Lars has yeah. fu- fury on it Lars is, Lars is awesome on it yeah um as far as albums go this this one has a lot of really good moments for Lars mm. um uh I've I've always been something of a Lars apologist um oh man don't um, apologize yeah he's great <laughs> not so much apologist but, yeah yeah I know uh, what you mean you gotta be yeah yeah mm. um I've always really liked a lot of his work and, and I, I really liked how um, this album in all senses is like a, it really feels like a logical continuation from where they picked up on Death Magnetic where they're just kind of honing in on what this new era of the band's going to be like. And <clears throat> with the exception of most of the solos on this album, uh, it's a through and through good shit. Okay, okay. So it's interesting you mentioned the solo there, because I did want to get to that. Uh, I am going to be in Kirk bashing mode, I'm afraid. Um, I don't think it's very good. Um, And I think there's an old... You talk about honing the new Metallica. I think the new Metallica have something that maybe the old Metallica had to a little extent, but they enshrined it a bit more compositionally here for me. The solo part starts with a lead lick that builds into a solo that comes back to the solo part and often the kirk solo part is kind of like the octave solo part it's just kind of i don't know you can sort of feel where he's going straight away and it's kind of like uh, it's not very exciting 
Yeah, um, I I do feel like it's this song's solo suits it, um, okay. though it is one of his more. Come on, man! It's just double stop city. It's it's one of his more predictable, yeah. boring ones. Um, although I don't know if it's just because I'm so into the song, I do still enjoy this solo um, more than a lot of the solos on the rest of this album. Okay. Um, yeah, it's but, not hardwired. Isn't like Kirk's. It's not black album. Yeah, I mean. Personally, one of my absolute favorite albums as far as Kirk's solos go is Death Magnetic. Mm. Um, yeah, this is just your life is a, cr- a crazy solo. Oof, yeah, like that. And um, f- first first time I heard uh, The Unforgiven 3, that mm. solo, I was just bordering on taken aback. Like, I, it was, it just blew my damn mind. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, like especially like, and with even longer between this album and the previous than Death Magnetic to Saint Anger, like mm-hmm. I was expecting Kirk to uh, kind of deliver a little more. <laughs> yeah. Also, because like you know he's he's Kirk fucking Hammond. Like yeah, yeah. <sighs> we've I mean we've seen what happens on the on the behind the scenes clips. Lars sort of encourages him into riffs. And then it's edited, and then, you know it's kind of odd what happens, and it kind of sounds like that. Really, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really like it. I think there could have been a better chorus done over the like playing with that. Hetfield's so good with the riffs underneath the solos, but this is just you know stock all over. Um, doesn't really do anything for me. Comes back into the you know this sort of uh, mode. But it, it works better as a riff yeah. song for me. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how good you know I really find Kirk here, but. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mind the track. I, a bit sad but true esque. I felt when he had that pause <clears throat> after the solo, like that kind of breath take. Yeah, um, and that's that also could be a reason why I like the solos because, like, I just really enjoy when you know, those types of like full stops and then just hitting you hard. Mm. Um, and so maybe that might be part of the reason why I like the solo so much because, like, the first the first time I heard that song, I was I just. I probably yelled like it was I just really enjoyed that um and because uh, throughout most of the beginning of the song it does have quite a bit of like a sad but true you know groove or slow heavy uh, feel to it and then they do that pause right before the solo and you're like oh something's about to happen mm-hmm. yeah um of course then that happens which Again, not bad to me, but just like, ah, oh, the boys could have done better. Hmm. 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 Well, Dream No More has been performed live eight times, which isn't many, really. Mm. Um, you know, it's been out a little while now. They've been on tour. Uh, it was performed in Birmingham, uh, October 30th, when I saw them. Uh, definitely check oh, out. Oh, yeah. Definitely check. Yeah. So I remember seeing it live. Definitely check out the episode, I should oh, say, if, if you haven't before, it's... of uh, my recap. Yeah. Nice. Uh, is, is that one of the videos that they uploaded what was the do you know what the song was that they uploaded from your show um no it was uh shorty straw that got uploaded from my show yeah i think it's the it's the belgian it's the belgian one that gets dream them all but i remember them playing it i remember james saying like do you want to hear something and copenhagen i think yeah those were the ones yeah 
James was saying, like, do you want to hear something heavy? And everyone's like, yeah. And I remember starting to play this, and it sort of confused a lot of people because they weren't familiar what song it was. They anticipated the sad <laughs> but true or something, which is kind of an, you know, an antecedent of to a certain extent. But um, yeah, it was cool, cool to have seen that, and you know, it worked well in that space. into today's song then halo on fire which closes the first disc of hardwired to self-destruct this is one of the band's longest songs drew uh, does it earn that length for you is it is it worthy of the epicness yeah i definitely think so um for sure because i actually i actually like a lot of their um their longer songs like um one and um mm. and you know stuff like that like just like just like a big like really epic song i like epic song just in general um, you know, like Behemoth and Rap Pity by um, Queen and um, Stay Right yeah. to Heaven. Yeah, I like epic, epic songs a lot. Mm, yeah, it, it opens quite grandly. I mean, I must say, and I know that I am the bit of the contrarian on the show, but I'm not the biggest fan of Halo on Fire. Uh, as I've said before, the Hardwired album to me isn't necessarily one of my favorites and i don't know this song maybe is a little a little bland for me in in parts i think some of the riffing but pe- people love this song right I- i'm clearly in the minority here yeah um yeah i love this song it's um like i said before um before we filmed um or before we recorded this yeah. um i said i wasn't a, the hugest fan of the song um but um i think now that i've seen them live last year um, and I, I heard the song live. Like, I really do like this song. Uh, I think I think it definitely, like, um, needs to be um, heard live to get, like, the full effect of it, I feel like. But just my opinion. That's kind of how I felt. And the title, you know, slightly on the nose, taking these motifs, these sigils uh, from the metal canon, the ideas of halos, the idea of things on fire, halo on fire, uh, what, what what do you make of the title? I think like well, the whole like meaning of the song is basically like people that act one way when they're in public, but they're totally different. Um, you know, um, when they're in their private life. Hmm. And um, James Hetfield even said that he based that whole idea off of um, watching the trailer for the first Fifty Shades of Grey um, movie, where you have this guy, Kristen Grey, um, who was kind of like clean cut. Um, you know you know, um, you know, in the public eye. Mm. And then like when he's in his private, he's into like this weird kind of sexual kind of stuff. So I think that's kind of an interesting kind of thing to explore. Um, um, here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The dichotomy, the, the duality of it and, you know, Hetfield's performance. I think it's, it's pretty, pretty great actually vocally on this. Uh, I especially love the verse riff that he sings over the sort of, spooky shuffle you know with the secondary mm-hmm. guitar with the harmonics it's it's pretty effective and engrossing yeah um yeah i tried to analyze some of the lyrics a little bit um yep. the first verse kind of tripped me up a little bit but i really like the, cor- the chorus um i suppose like the last part when he says um i fear to turn off the light 
for the darkness won't go away. Fast it desire, turn out the light, halo on fire. And that what can I what I kinda picture what I kinda picture with that is, you know, um you know, somebody, you know, um, you know, they come home, you know, from work, um, you know, after interacting with people, you know, or or you know, after, you know, putting on this disguise or this mask, you know, how like they present themselves to people. And then, you know, they go home and they turn off the light and like their halo is on fire. You know what I mean? It's like their dark, their dark side um, comes out. And another piece of lyric that I also like in this song, um, what kind of connects to the whole 50 save, save the grave kind of part of, you know, idea that, you know, Hatfield was kind of going with. It's on the second um, verse when he says, deprive, deprive, to feel so alive. Like, when I, I listened to the song last night, I'm like, that's a pretty interesting lyric to kind of connect it back to 50 Sage with the whole, you know, thing of that movie or that franchise. Yeah, and the structure as well, lyrically, of the verses, where it's uh, one word, one word, four words. And moving yeah. forward with that, or pretty close to that, you know, it just has nice evocations there. James, I say, is embellishing it, enjoying his role. Um, I, I, I guess for me, just personally, you know, the melody doesn't strike as deep. But, you know, the Halo and Fire section, where James is singing over the crashing chords that still have the melody at the end, and they feel slightly off time, almost like a hit the lights, like they're just slightly off center. And it's a very effective thing, and anthemic, undeniably. Yeah, I think I'm kind of with you on. The, oh, I was with you on that. Well, when I first heard the song the first couple of times, you know, the whole, um, you know, repeating the word two times and then saying like a, you know, a different like a phrase after that, um, I wasn't really into that. And like, I get the, I, I guess it was part because of um, I didn't really know what the song was talking about per se until I actually heard Edfield, you know, explain like the meaning on the song. I'm like, okay, now that I you know, know what the meaning is, and I read these lyrics, I kind of know what this, um, what this guy, um, is talking about, you know, what, or the meaning behind the song, so, that definitely helped out a lot, but. The song has quite a lot of different movements, you know, it is quite a lengthy track, as we say, and a lot of, a lot of riffing going on, and actually watch the making of, I don't know if you've seen this, you know, as part of all the hardwired videos they released, Halo on Fire's working title was actually R.I.P., and they've got a great 30-minute video showing them constructing the song. And there's a great moment in the middle when Lars is talking about the composition and saying, like, you know, we need to metal this section up. and We need to put some riffing here. And this is kind of what James comes up with. Uh, you know, these kind of central riffs with all the shifting shapes. You know, I love this section. And then towards the end, when we get the... It almost feels like a lighthouse, like Kirk's guitar. You know, no, 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 no. Like guiding the way to the end of the song and... Uh, Again, that's a big appeal to the masses, I feel, Drew. Yeah, uh, I think another thing that's kind of interesting that makes... Because I guess you can, you can technically call this, like, the ballad of the album in a way. Yeah. Um, is that if you look at the Black album, how that was different from, like, Sanitarium or One or Fade to Black, with, like, that started out slow, and then the verses were heavy, and then, like, the chorus were slow, you know, you know, it was different than all the other ballads that were coming before this. Mm. This one's different where like like when it like when it first starts out, like it is heavy. Like the That's very classic Metallica. And you're thinking, okay, this is gonna be a heavy song. And then, you know, it kinda turns into more of a ballad. I can't say I'm the biggest fan of Kirk's solo work in this track. Uh 
I don't even like the tone he has for the sort of intro pieces. It's just a bit Am I Savage scooped for me personally. But I think especially uh, the the middle solo feels a little piece together as we know these are constructed on that wavelength. And then the outro solo should be a, a grand fade to black style flourish. But I feel it's more obviously lick driven. Um, yeah, do what, you know what's funny um, is that before I started listening to um to your show, I used to love Kurt Hammett a lot, and then you kind of mentioned that um you know that you know that you that you really didn't like him, and you kind of explained why you didn't like him <laughs> about that. And I'm like, and then so I started listening to Metallica again, and really listened to like his solos, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think he, I don't like him as much anymore. Right. He had some great, he had some great stuff. Um, oh yeah. Going oh yeah. Um yeah, can I tell you a quick story real quick? Please. Um, yeah, when I went to go see him, um, actually before I went to go um, see him, I'm thinking in my head, okay, there, there's going to be one solo where, like, when Kurt's done, that I want to, like, yell out in the um, in the crowd and put the devil horns up, Kirk! And so, like, all throughout the night, like, I couldn't, like, like I couldn't find the, the, the right solo to, like, do that for. It was actually one of the solos for um, Hit the Lights that, um, that I did that for. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry to have poisoned your perception of Kirk. I mean, you know, no, just... it's fine because um, he actually had some really good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, actually, um, I think what makes him um really cool, um, compared to like all the other guys, like outside of music, is that he's actually a big horror fan, like I am. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like the Mummy and like uh, Frankenstein and the Creature from Lagoon, Dracula, and I think. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big um, horror, like classic horror fan, because I grew up with like Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and Dracula. Hmm. Yeah, so I think that's kind of how he appeals to me in, in a way. I mean, I like all of them, you know what I mean? Even yeah. Jason Newstead, Jason Newstead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you mention his horror stuff, because I know he's on uh, Gilbert Godfrey's podcast recently. I listened to a bit oh, really? of that, and uh, yeah, Kirk pretty much mostly just talks about horror on that explicitly, yeah. so definitely check that out. Yeah, and Kirk is mighty talented, like I just finished a solo episode, it should be on the channel right about the same time as this dropping of me going through Metallica's musical guest appearances, you know, like when James was on Corrosion and Conformity, or Kirk himself who was on lots of stuff from Santana's All That I Am 2005, he's on this song called Trinity, played a really good guitar solo, uh, there's also Exodus, he's also on the Spawn soundtrack with English dance duo Orbital, um, it's a song called Satan, so yeah. Shout out to Kirk, but I just don't feel that Kirk here uh, really does some of his best work. And maybe the song, in my eyes at least, could have been elevated slightly if there was like a absolutely breathtaking solo to end it. But a little like the song altogether. Again, I hate to be a, a Debbie Downer on the track mostly, but uh, I don't know. It's it, it, it's okay, you know, but it's uh, it, it's quite a long number, you know. Yeah. Well, actually, I think that. Um... I don't think it's. I don't think it's, I don't think that's the problem with the song. Right, um, right. It's the length of it. I actually kind of do like the length um, of the song. Um, I mean, I, I actually think it's pretty much a perfect song. Song. I can't really think of anything that I don't like about it. Um, to be honest with you, mm. um, I think this is probably one of the not the best Metallica solo of all time, but one of the better ones um, off the album. I would, I would say. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Not much competition. Now, um, can I ask you two quick um, questions real quick? Please. Um, what, what would you say is your favorite song off this album? Uh, um, probably Moth. 
are like, yeah, that's probably one of my fav. That's probably my favorites. Yeah, I, I would say that, and probably um, I really like um Atlas Rides. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's really good as well. Yeah, I, I do really like that. I just, yeah. I don't know, this sort of uh, hardwired to me always feels like a sort of load with Death Magnetic in it, but more more loady. It's more, I don't know, it's a little more forgettable for me, I think, riff-wise. So I guess that's why I'm a little against Hella. But yeah. I think sonically, the song sounds incredible. And, you know, listening on headphones, when I was doing my notes earlier today, I realised that at certain points in the vocals, there's some deep uh, reverb of Hetfield's inner demons echoing some of the lyrics that he's saying, and it really adds to the immersive experience. And, yeah. you know, you've you got to be thankful that in 2016, the band are putting out music like this, you know, vital, interesting music like this. Yeah, um... Yeah, I think that's why I kind of like especially like the first half of this album, um, Hardwired to Self Destruct. Mm. Because um I kinda like how a lot of it kinda talked about um stuff that's going on right now. Um you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, um with like, you know, um um with like, you know, celebrity worship and um and you know, um um, and, you know, and, um, and all that stuff, or yeah. like feeling, you know, like too attached to like, you know, um, your, um, like, um, technology devices where, you know, you're actually going to become your devices with the song Fit Out the Bone. Um, you know, this, yeah, there's just a lot of, um, interesting, um, st- um, stuff in here. And I like how it's, how, like, um, like the song Hardwire kind of like, um, it was like the perfect song to open off this album because it kind of talked about, it's kind of a summary of the whole album, you know what I mean? Kind of like, it's kind of talking about, like, we're our own destruction, you know what I mean, in a, in a way. Mm. That that was kind of um, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And the song proves to be popular. Uh, it's been performed 70 times so far. First played in South Korea, Seoul, uh, January 11th, 2017. Last played May 11th, 2018 in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, can you see it becoming a bit of a staple? Um, not really. Um, I think they're gonna, I think like, you know, like in later tours, like tours outside of um, the album, I think they'll pull it out every once in a while. But I think like the live staple, um, um, off this album is going to definitely going to be Moth, Moth to the Flame. Yeah. That's such a, like a, like a really like angry, like, um, kind of song with a, with a really um, good riff. And um, you know, a good chorus to, um, that you know everybody's gonna gonna sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It it is the standout hardwired song, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard. It's, it's tough because, like, to me, Metallica's music is so good all across the board. Mm. You know, all tenor albums, even you know, Saint Anger to a certain extent. It's kind of hard to pick out your favorite like song off of some of these albums, like Master and you know, Hardwired um, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, there is just uh, spoiler riches, so many classics. And yeah. even the minor songs, as doing this podcast shows, you know, uh, are exceptional. So, um, any closing thoughts on Halo on Fire? Um, not really. Um, actually, I will say I do like the, um, the, the very, um, the, kind of like the ending closing with the now, and wow. I love that part. That is such a freaking earworm to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember. Cause like I said, I went to go see him during summer break, and I had a lot of time off of work. And then I remember when I went back to work, you know, like a few weeks later, 
Um, I remember like the whole time, like I had that, I had that, like that roast stuck in my head. Yeah. 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 It's constructed really well. It doesn't, I, I, I've said it didn't earn its length, but I just think, you know, the the way it's executed is impressive, no doubt. And, uh, you know, James and Lars are still collabing really well. And if you watch that making of, as I say, and you see Lars at the you know, sort of frayed ends of haircut that he's got going, uh, he's sort of Cliff Bernstein sort of swag, Rick Rubin. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to see them discussing this song as well. I mean, I, I kind of when I emailed you the first go around, I told you like I'm a bit of a maybe a, a blind faith fan. I, I really like everything sure. that they've put out. And I, well, you know, do, there are some songs that I like better than others, of course. But, mm. you know, I just appreciate every song, you know, for what it is. I realize that they're not going to release, you know, seven different versions of Master of Puppets. You know, yeah. all their albums are different. Um, but I think the for me, the thing about Metallica is the energy, man. It just mm. it just gets me going, pumps me up, you know. I just love listening to them, especially like, you know, if you're working out, I even like, I play golf and sometimes I'll, right. if I'm playing by myself, you know, I'll put them in and, you know, I'll be in the golf cart kind of rocking out. Right. People are like, what is wrong with that tune? But I just love the energy. It's just fun. It's, it's just fun music, man. At least mm. for me, mm. you know, I no, really enjoy it. I completely agree. Yeah. Entirely like in a sort of just a wild abandoned sort of way. I listen to songs like anything from Moth into the Flame to Blacken to Fade to Black. They just, they get me on a certain excitement level. I don't know what totally, it is. Yeah. Excitement, that's a great yeah. word. Yeah, they just get me excited. That's a great mm-hmm, word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we, we move through then. Like, in your email, you say, as you say, uh, Blind Faith fan, I've really, yeah, quote, I really enjoy everything they've done, in brackets, even St. Anger. So, I mean, you know, you continue it, that thing. You're a fan of the record. Yeah, I am, and I know that you are, too. Mm. It, I, the, I think the re- one of the reasons I, I, like I said, I like everything they did, but, the you know, I, I don't hate St. Anger, but I think the reason I kind of ha- don't hate it, I mean, is it different? Absolutely. It's it's definitely muddy and mm. sludgy, and but it's still Metallica, and yeah. that was like, the, like I said, I got to them in 02, so 03, you know, I'm, I guess some people might say, unfortunately, like the first kind of anticipation for a new record was St. Anger, and uh, me and my the, that buddy who introduced me to Metallica, we went to the record store and camped out the, you know, the morning yeah. of, waited to the guy unlock, and we got it. Definitely, you know, definitely surprised by it, but I mean, like I said, there's time and place for that record I, you know yeah. i'll put it on and, and I, I i enjoy it you know i'm probably not the best guest to be you know super critical of all their stuff but um i just like i like it I, you yeah. know there's there's a couple songs that are like oh, okay uh, you know but there's 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 a few songs that i really like i mean i like um purify a lot on that song right. i like sweet amber i like my world mm. you know I mean, like I said, I like everything they've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. there's a there's a lineage, isn't there? Like when when I became a Metallica fan, so a bit a bit later than yourself. Like Saint Anger was just oh, I was derided. It was like you know it was this kind of. So I was a bit more intrigued. I wasn't burnt because I wasn't really used to the flavor of the band, I suppose. So yeah, you know, it was, it was it was a little bit different for me. But I do. You've kind of unlocked an ancient memory for me actually because um, I, I mentioned him before briefly. Because my older cousin Peter was sort of this you know the typical sort of older cousin who gets you into albums. <laughs> And whatever, yeah. and, you know, he got me into Metallica and stuff. 
and I remember we were on holiday together. Um, I think when Saint Anger came out, I think at the airport he bought it. I remember because obviously the artwork is distinct, and I would have been quite young at the time. And I remember he had a CD player, and I was sitting next to him on the plane. And as it took off, he like put the CD on, and I asked him like halfway through the flight, like how is it? And he just turned to me and just like wordlessly shook his head, like he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't besotted with it, but like it, it works for me. It is the band in a different veneer, and I don't mean to sound like an iconoclast the drum sound doesn't bother me it's never bothered me it's just different i mean and another thing that i think people overlook about the album is like you know that late two or late 90s early 2000s like hetfield could sing like i mean his Mm. voice like i mean you listen to like the snm record uh their woodstock performance in 99 did he i mean that was like probably one of my favorite vocals with him and so like there was still some of that left over even around 2003 where I mean, if you listen to him sing on that record, it, I mean, granted, there's a couple parts where, you know, he's screaming into the mic and it's not the best quality, but I really like his voice in that record, too. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't I don't mind it. Is it my favorite yeah. record? No. But I mean, if it comes on, am I ripping it out of the my, you know, my iPod off my uh, computer and throwing it across the room? No way. Like, <laughs> No, and um, St. Anger fans, I should say, just to close up, you're in for a treat. The episode that I'm going to release on Christmas Day is a St. Anger song. It's Dirty Window, so I don't know if that's festive for you or not, but uh, we're <laughs> yeah. going yeah, to be uh, digging into that. And, that's going to be a pretty good song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really fun song, like Judge and Jury. Yeah. It has a re- James plays like these different consciousness ones, and it's just that main riff that's in a lot of some kind of monster, the film, so it kind of feels a bit uh-huh. familiar, you know? Um, yeah, but, they uh, play that a lot live when that record came out, when I saw them around that period in 04 that was that was the only song actually off the album that they played right. <laughs> okay yeah. okay yeah it's riffy so. enough to sort of get past yeah, the senses yeah, I, so. I suppose but um you know we get to today's song and we get right. to uh hard word and let's just talk about uh, the song is confusion from hard word talk about the album to me as a whole you, you a fan of the album yeah of course <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i mean i love it i mean i think it's great i think it's a well-balanced album I just have trouble finding, you know, a lot of holes in it. But I also know that I'm, like I said, a blind faith fan. I, sure. I love everything they did. I mean, I think um, there are songs on there that, like, I mean, Dream No More. I mean, I love that song. Okay. I love the vocals in that song. Um, and I like this song, too. When you, you asked me if, if I wanted to come on and talk about it, I was like, heck, yeah, man. I, I You know, I really like this song. And we'll get into that here in a sec. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the album because, obviously, it's got Metallica tied to it. And it's yeah. hard for me to dislike it. But, yeah, I think it's a great album. Mm. But like I said, they could do anything. I'd probably be like, yeah, this is the best album. No, no, it, it, it's good. I mean, it's impressive, definitely. I mean, personally for me, I think it's like side one's a lot stronger than side two. For sure, um, I'll give you that. Yeah. You know, but 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 yeah, I like it, it's it's always kind of interesting music. It's always riff driven. There's always kind of nice motifs and confusion. You know, it, it was fun to dig into this one because it's quite a recent song. You know, it came out about a year ago now. Um, Hardwired, mm-hmm. I guess, is about a year old. Uh, crazy. It came actually came at November 18th, so uh, 11 months old. Yeah, not even a year old. That's mad. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, that's kind of kickstarted their cycle, hasn't it? So I guess, and I'll, and I'll be doing a podcast. So you know, they've been uh, they've been in my mind a lot. But you know, yeah. the, the song the song begins. Does it feel a little to you like Am I Evil? Like with the uh, sort of yeah, chug? a little bit, or I mean, uh, totally. Sound yeah. like Am I Evil? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I turned. I honestly was like, wait, are they? Is this are they re-releasing Am I Evil? Yeah. You know, are they covering it again? <laughs> But I, I mean, I think they probably know that. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, there's no hiding. You know, they, they've done a lot of stuff with that. I mean, it definitely, definitely is inspired by Am I Evil, right? Mm. I mean, it has to be. 
Mm, mm, mm. The I snare mean, and tom, and it just, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's great. Yeah, the the only thing the I, Am I Evil thing has that at the end he goes, na, 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 which, which this doesn't do, so it kind of teases nah, nah. that. But yeah, it kind of throws me off sometimes. Yeah, when I to it. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because I mean, not only do you have the chug that Am I Evil has, but you have sort of the demonic diatonics, you know, James playing yep. those kind of, you know, monochromatic notes. Yeah. 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 Those yeah. real sort of evil, medieval kind of kind of notes playing, and it, it's kind of Sabbath evil, you know, it's old school metal kind of, you know, uh, malcontent there, and it comes into the heavier stuff as well, and then it gets into that kind of classic, uh, you know, descending sort of power chord riff into the main riff, which I love. There's something quite gnarly and gnashed about it. Oh. Yeah, I wrote that down. I, that the riff with those little tails at the end. Yeah, I, I, it might be one of my favorite on the whole album. It, mm. it, I mean, it's it's catchy. It's one of those like riffs. Um, I, this, I'm going to steal a line from. I'm sure you listen to the the metal the Metallica podcast up your ass. Oh, oh of course. They, of those course. other guys have. Yeah. They always say like, "Oh, is it like I can sing that solo or I can sing mm. that riff?" You know what I mean? And yeah. to me, this is like a, such a catchy riff. It, it, there's a little bit of a groove in it. it I really love it. I mean. That's really why I kind of, you know, I, when I went through the albums, you know, I listened to the whole album and there's definitely probably highlights and I'll, you know, I don't want to use the word low lights on the album for everybody, but you know, I was like, okay, confusion, that's a cool song. But then like it come back on, you know, on random and I'm like, man, that's, that's a, that riff, man, just keeps getting me. But I agree. It's a, it's an awesome riff. Mm, mm, yeah. It's kind of a, it, it's got like a chug, like an Alice in Chains. It oh, sounds super like, chuggy. Yeah. You know, uh, Mark Tremonti. I've been listening to a lot of Alter Bridge recently. Um, and they Alter have some, awesome. Yeah. They have some fucking awesome guitar parts. Did he, that guy can, that guy can freaking play. Oh like, my, oh I think my God. he gets a bad rap for being kind of associated with, you know, that Alter Bridge is basically Creed minus Scott yeah. Stapp, but <laughs> They, they kick ass i mean you know <laughs> it's crazy man yeah because yeah. i mean creed are okay um but but yeah i liked him growing up yeah, I'm not yeah, yeah. Lie, don't, don't, but, you know they, you know they're kind of one of those one last breath like a... that's a good tune yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that's a good song but but if you, you'd be forgiven what creed are like a sort of cold play in a certain sense they're kind of soft rocky but alter bridge it's like their guitar player became this monster like he's like this unbelievable like he plays james hetfield and kirk under the table like he's just um, yeah incredible. it's crazy dude he is he's actually i think one of the most underrated like people mm. don't really know him you know mm. what i mean but you like yeah. listen to him play and Seriously. i uh when i was a kid i was i took guitar lessons for about 30 minutes right. <laughs> yeah. but my guitar teacher was friends with Mark Tremonti oh. and uh, he, I'd never met him or anything, but he would right. tell me stories about him. And that's kind of like, I was like, Oh, the guy from Creed. And he's like, yeah, yeah. But you know, you should check out some of his, uh, you know, just look him up. And mm. that was, you know, for YouTube and stuff. And then, um, you know, I just kind of, have kind of discovered them and was just like, man, these are some serious riffs. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, Blackbird, their third album, uh, he did a solo, like, you know, and, and the reason we bring him up is as a compliment, really, because the riff reminds me of that. It just has a real sort of gnashing quality. And I, I think the highlight for me of Confusion is is the riff. It's this riff. And then it's the riff, the kind of chorus of the na 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 like it kind of turns on mm -hmm. its heels. You know, it's, quite, it's yeah. quite a powerful sort of thing. Um, I mean, talk to me about the themes of this song, because it's quite a sort of strong topic for James, isn't it? Right. Uh, so in my notes, I wrote J.H. plus war equals yes. I mean, he just <laughs> somehow always I mean, like, you know, one from the yeah. Bell's most disposable heroes. Like yeah, I actually yeah. had a buddy in college. Uh, he was uh, he was in this uh, military here and he said that he was a Metallica fan. He's like, man, you know, James actually has like a really good grasp on like the feelings surrounding war. Like mm. so, I mean, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, you watch the video, the lyrics, it's definitely. Mm. Um, 
has a tone about you know p uh, pstd and uh all that stuff and it's a uh definitely more you know it's, it's pretty obvious little lyrics you know compared to some of the other stuff he does that are, you know a little bit more discreet but um i i think that he really uh like some of the there's a couple lines in the song that like really you know i think are like whoa those are like pretty you know heavy-handed you know like i think the lyric is um rapid is the road to sacrifice just takes longer to come home and yeah. like you know like everyone's like ready to run off you're 18 years old like mm. all right i'm ready to serve my country but you know it's not so easy when you got to come back and kind of fit back into you know everyday mm. life mm-hmm. i thought that was a kind of a powerful line i watched um i think it i don't know if it was like some metallica.com special or whatever it was but they kind of he discussed all the lyrics yeah i watched that, that yeah yeah he said that the movie american sniper yeah was a influence on this song about how the guy kind of felt this obligation to his brothers to go back and he kept mm. going back and making more tours, you know, cause he felt like, you know, if I'm not there, they could die. And so like, it's funny. I was talking to my buddy when I was telling him I'd be on this podcast and we were just kind of throwing this around. Like, obviously like, you know, war is the big theme of the song. Also one is probably, you know, their other biggest war song, but like, mm. I, I kind of thought it was cool. Like one was definitely more of a physical scar from war, right? Like taking yeah. my legs to, you yeah. know, this is kind of like more of an evolution of things like, okay, this is now we're talking more people are more concerned with like the mental scars that you get from mm. war and, you know, mm. all that type of stuff, which is definitely like very, you know, new, not new, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, I don't know. It just, it, it's kind of like an evolution of, yeah. you know, the, the side effects from war. Yeah, yeah, 17 years separating one, I believe, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and confusion. So, yeah, it shows the development. Yeah, that, that's a really, really good point, yeah. And it, there are some nice lines. There are some sort of, you know, on-the-nose sort of stuff here that works from this song. But but I agree, rapid is the road to sacrifice. just takes longer to come home. It's quite poetic, actually. Um, I know, it is. It's a cool line. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool line. Like, some of the stuff like Crossfire Ricochets Inside Me is a little bit yeah. more sort of, you know, uh, you know, yeah. J- J- James ain't Tom Waits and, you know, but... <laughs> But yeah, he, is, yeah. he is a brilliant lyric, right? I'm not insulting him, but, you know, sometimes there are things that, you know, don't have the elegance they need. But, you know, with with that section and the labour him a deadwood soldier now, you know, when it comes over that riff, I think I think the riff works better underneath James singing than actually on its own. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Totally. Yeah, it's got a 5-7 uh, sort of. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's fun. it's good. You know, there's some good moments to this song. It's, if I was to critique it, I w- it would be the same thing I really critique a lot of Hardwired for. The songs are a little too long. You know, this song has like a minute intro before that main riff, which is... I wrote that down too, yeah. You know, it's fine. Um, I saw a really tragic article on The Guardian today saying that, like, modern music, the intro comes really quick now because the first 30 seconds get you money on Spotify. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but obviously yeah. Metallica don't need that Spotify money, so they go... No, no, with, with, for with, sure. With yeah, I wrote that down too. Yeah. I said that the, you know, that whole Am I Evil intro, I was like, oh, I mean, it's awesome, but it, like, it kind of lingered a little bit yeah. too long. I was like, all right, where, where's that? Is the riff coming? Is it coming? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I agree with you. I have to agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a little... I mean, I think you're right. A, the, a lot of there's a lot of songs that I, you could probably chop down on this album and kind of tighten up this is probably one of them for sure you know mm, mm. yeah so yeah i'd like, have to agree it's six minutes 41 which is like which it, is like average on this cd yeah it is it's not like uh that's that's a crazy thing i looked that up and i was like oh i wonder if this is like one of the longer songs nope it's like right in the middle <laughs> yeah it, it is there's one three minute song on the entire two yeah. discs which is like you know the whole album which is 12 songs altogether, could be on a single disc uh, if the songs weren't, you know, needlessly had a few things here and there. And talking of fat, 
talking of blubber, this is going to be the segment on the show where I diss Kirk solo. Um, I really don't enjoy this solo. Like, there's a video of them doing it in the studio and learning it called Lima, which is fucking brilliant. Love watching that. Yeah, I saw that. You know, and Kirk does a solo. And he does these really empty, generic, kind of faux Stevie Ray Borns. And Lars, like, bends. And Lars, like, opens his mouth, like, in a gape in astonishment. I listen to it. I'm just like, bro, get out the 12-14 box. Like, I appreciate your blind faith fan and stuff. But it's just, his kind of, his phrasing, it's just so background to me. You think? I mean, I, I, I like it. I, it, mm. it definitely has, like, a Stevie Ray Vaughan, a little bit of a Hendrix vibe to it. Mm. And uh, I, I don't mind it. I think it's, like a pretty cool i mean it's definitely you're you know when you hear it it's okay I, that's kirk hammett solo right there i you know i get that but i you know i don't mind it too much and i did watch the making of and lars was like you know kind of gave him this look like where the hell did that come from like but in a good way i thought um but um there's a lot of wah obviously so uh it's mm-hmm. kind of your standard Kirk sure. Hammett solo, but I, I, like again, maybe I'm probably not the best person to have one, but I, I like it. I no, no, it. I mean, yeah. Kirk, Kirk has this weird habit where he'll take the rhythm of the riff and put it in the solo, so he has that lick, because like, underneath is a da 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 and he has like, like yeah, I like that, yeah. You know, it's fine, it's kind of groovy, but I, personally, I For like sure. a, I like a narrative in a solo, I like, I like a Marty Friedman, you know, Paul Gilbert uh you know right. uh, the uh, the guy from the replacements bob stinson you know that sort of shit like you know ace fraley whatever you know but i don't know kirk it falls a little bit flat for me uh, but i do like when he sort of does that solo in the verse and james is kind of talking about the sort of you know the, the desolation mentally and and the confusion going on and there is this right. kind of meandering solo in 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 the you know what i mean in the stereo yeah, that first one mm. right yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I, I was watching some videos online. I noticed he he doesn't play that live. Like when they do the oh, live okay. versions, I think there's only like two. I think I only saw two, mm-hmm. or at least like two that Metallica had posted on YouTube. But he doesn't play like he plays just like the front half of it, and then when like the verse kicks in, he like stops playing it. But I do like that part. Mm-hmm. Like he, I think it's under. I think it's like around like verse two is when he plays it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just kind of it's an extra thing that you can do. But it's interesting. He wouldn't play it live. I guess you know. I don't, I don't really know why that would happen. There is actually a version of um, confusion. I think they play in Japan or something in Asia, and all the comments are about how out of tune Kirk's guitar is. It's really, out, <laughs> it's really out of tune. Like you listen to certain parts, and it really kind of uh, grating there. But um, any any closing thoughts on this song, Nick? Um, I would say probably to me one of the highlights of this song was the vocals. That mm. really, like, oh, yeah. I really like how he, how he that confusion, that delusion, like how he like the inflection yeah. in his Confusion, voice. Yeah, yeah, it is awesome, and that really like really like, I love the riff, mm. the vocals. It's like you could just like how he kind of added that extra head feel, like ah at mm. the end confusion. <laughs> <laughs> and he really does like that. Like I watched that live video, and he really amps oh, that man, up. Man, man, they played it just recently in France. I uh, know he's in yeah, Germany, yeah. and it was like his voice sounds amazing. His voice sounds That's so what good. I don't understand. It's like where where was this? Like I saw him in '04, also, and I mean I'm not gonna lie, like it was not. Right. I mean I have like you know you can buy this the 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 set list or you know the audio of like the, all the concerts mm. now. We bought it, and I was like, man, did he sound like that live? But. I think that's kind of the theme of this this record and this tour. Like, man, they just sound awesome. Man. Mm. Like, and the, the album I also think is mixed and produced way better than Death Magnetic. Oh yeah, it just it just sounds like way better. Mm. But like, I love to me the vocals on this song really like are kind of the highlight. I think this Dream No More and uh, 
probably mankind like the vocals like i just i, I love the, the sound of his voice you know the confusion mm. like where he like i said he kind of does that confusion I, that was something that really hooked me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no no i agree james sounds fantastic like you know confu- confusingly so he still sounds brilliant <laughs> yeah. uh you know um and yeah you know i'm not going to say this is like my favorite metallica song ever but you know i did enjoy listening to this throughout the week and thinking about it and it does have some like one of my hot one of the reasons i love metallica is james hetfield making up riffs and playing guitar and it has some fantastic work from him yeah and you know and it, and it, and it is a great song and the song then i mentioned the pun beforehand the title a lot of people on the forums and elsewhere have a bit of a problem with the title they think it's a bit lame for want of a better word what's your interpretation um i'm i mean it's it's a it's a unique title um mm-hmm. to say um because i it, you, you don't really see many titles from metallica that have um just random capitalized letters in the no. middle of their titles um so, yeah, if I describe it in one word, it'd be unique. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, certainly. It's uh, the only song on the album, and I think the only song so far that has uh, Mr. Rob Trujillo with a writing credit. And I'm pretty sure that is exclusively for the intro, which is a very interesting intro. It opens up with this bass yeah, motif. Exactly. Yeah, it opens up with this bass motif, uh, similar to My Friend of Misery in that sort of vein. It definitely feels to me, as someone that plays guitar, often you just sort of put odd shapes on the fretboard for want of doing that, and you could just carve out these interesting melodies that, that don't really make much sense. And maybe this is something Rob was jamming on or something, or something that he brought to the boys and it's got a meditative solo feel to it and we also have the guitar on top providing some tasteful uh, accompaniment garnish it's a nice interplay what do you make of the first 30 seconds of the track um it's it's definitely a good uh uh contrast between uh rob and uh james that are just playing back and forth it it's kind it, it it kind of feels like it's a little bit of a jam at first but um, it, it kind of feels like it's heading somewhere before uh, Lars just comes in with the drums. Um, it's it, it's it, and then it just starts to it, they start to find the structure as soon as the drums come in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does have this sort of cantering swagger to it. You know, it does have a lot of interesting um, time signatures that play out. It's got a very braggadocious, a bound, 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 bound. You know, it's playing with with light and shade. Compositionally, there's some nouse here. I will accuse this song, however, of being filler. I'm not the biggest fan of Man Unkind, to be honest with you. I think a lot of the, the riffs and the writing is... Slightly stock, slightly anonymous. I mean, in general, what are your thoughts? Are you a fan of Man Unkind? I was actually one of the people that didn't really enjoy Man Unkind at first because of the filler reason. 
Um, but as I listen to it more, it's actually one of my top five songs on the album. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't really see, I mean, yes, I can see where you're coming from as filler, but I, um, after just, uh, I mean, I feel like, um, when playing along with it, you can kind of make up your own things as, um, when just playing along with it. Um, it's more of, uh, looking for that fifth member to try and do some improvising, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if, if if someone was to say to me, what exactly is it that I don't like about this song? I'd point them to 2 minutes 52. So this is basically where we've had two verses, two choruses. The whole band pulls out as if to introduce this riff. And this riff literally feels to me that Hetfield's just plugged in his guitar and is warming up. He's just sort of going up this scale. There's no real flair. At the, I mean, Hetfield's the riff master. Like, you know, I, I bow down to this guy. I think he's an absolute genius. I just don't think necessarily... The band are challenging themselves in that way for me. But, um, you know, in terms of the time signatures, in terms of playing with those rhythms, it is quite a tricky song. And, you know, Hetfield, again, is a genius. And even the verses, you know, there's lots going on. There's lots of sort of, you know, half turn and, and, and quick motions. And I believe um, we're going to have a quick guest on the show. Your brother's going to discuss his time signatures, right? Yes, exactly. Um, I'm, I can definitely get him in once i once uh i mean we, we've been talking about this um and i think when 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 we talk about the the uh i guess the second part of the song if you will um yeah. it will probably you'll, you'll have a better um uh understanding and maybe um have more i, I don't know I, I it makes me appreciate the song even more after sure. just having that discussion yeah so the main part i found really interesting with this is these two different sections of having the instrumental parts in four and the vocal parts coming in and quickly changing into three um, and quite actually the opposite of that. Um, and the other section having the instrumental part in a strict three while the vocal part comes in this very slow four. Um, and usually I wouldn't focus too much on that. I think it can, I don't know, distract from the actual song, but I think in this case it mm. actually gives quite a good insight into it. When we see in the view of the second main section of the song, for considering um, we have the short intro in the beginning, and then we have you know that heavy um, kind of first section. The second section kind of gets us away from there, um, where we have this fairly strict three-four um, instrumental. The, you know, the drums are really kind of getting us away from that very traditional 4-4, mm. you know, straight-ahead um, rock sound. But then we get this 4-4 sound finally, and it's a little bit unsettling because it's so... Everything else feels quite natural, but the drums are really back into a very, like, so almost halftime feel. And that... I've described as kind of like a slingshot as if like pulling this and you almost have to like restrict it, like forcibly restrict the tempo back. And finally it lets go into that three, four section, which ends up um, at least from, if you were to look at this from a classical perspective, um, actually quite similar to uh, dances. So you have first a mazurka dance where you have these, accents in the second and third beat 
resolving into actually quite a bit of a waltz. It's kind of interesting a metal song to have a waltz section, but... This is during a Kirk solo, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the tone signature is fancy. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if you agree, Isaac. I was just saying to Sam, like, I think the riffs are kind of bland, though, in this song. I don't think they're very memorable Hetfield numbers. Yeah, I don't think on their own there's really too much. Um, I was trying to work out some of it, just try to play around with it, but there's really not too much going around. There's not too much going around with the actual harmonic structure, but just that rhythmic structure of mm. going between that 3 4 and 4 4 and incorporating these classical styles of mazurka and waltz into this. I mean, these are mid 19th century popular styles not quite what you'd hear a lot today. I think that's what really gives it this interesting feel. All right, well, Isaac, thank you for dropping by, man. Some uh, some drive-by insight. I appreciate it. Thank you. So um, getting back into the song then, Sam, one of my common complaints about Hardwired is I think Kirk soloing is pretty trash on the whole album, and... I'm afraid it's pretty trash on this song. I mean, you know, again, he's just loving his wah bends. He's he's loving just following the rhythm of the chords and, and not telling his own story in any way. Kind of misunderstanding what a solo's for, in my opinion. I mean, there's a few moments early on. He's making a lot of interesting sounds on the whammy bar. There's not really any notes. And then later on... Um, you know, as we get onto the eighth and ninth bar, he's kind of hitting high on the fretboard and creating quite a caustic, dissonant sound. But um, what are your thoughts on the solo? Uh, I, 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 I kind of agree on that. It, it, the, the solo kind of, um, it, it, I mean, I, th- I think this was all heavily improvised and um, there wasn't really much thought going into doing this. Um, I, I mean... I feel like uh, Kirk was kind of all over the place on this one. Um, it was it, it was a little sloppy to say. It is sloppy, and it, you know you've got to, you watch all these videos. Like um, I don't know if you watched MTO, which was the the, the making of this song the, from the Hardwired sessions, obviously on their YouTube channel. Which again is a great watch. Uh, watch really insightful ten minutes. Um, you know, really incredible that the band gave us uh, and open up in this way to us. You get to see James kicking out the new wrist. You get to see him and Lars putting real time in the studio with Greg. And then Kirk swans in with his fucking Yankees cap or whatever the fuck he's wearing. Does a two-minute solo, leaves. I mean, it's just so stock. It's kind of like you can't believe this is the guy who wrote The Unforgiven who did the Man Unkind solo. I watched it and um, I... I mean, it, I I didn't even know that was Kirk at first. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was just some random guy coming in and saying, "All right, let me just uh just jam a little bit," and there you go, there's a solo. See ya. Yeah, it might it might as well have been. And you know, as I said before as well, I think to save time in the future, Jar, uh, late, uh, Lars and James needs to just make an iPad app that has like twenty buttons that just does a random Kirk thing for two bars. Then they just need to get. Lars's younger child to just mash his hand on there and just put that in the song and it'll probably be better than what Kirk comes up with for the majority of Hardwired. I mean, yeah, it leaves a lot to be desired. Maybe harsh me, but it does leave a lot to be desired. The whole song has a kind of empty reload swag to me. It's kind of a groover riff. And I do agree that time signature wise it is quite complex, but again, 
you know, you can have the most complex recipe in the world, but really it's the ingredients that make of the meal. And I don't think there's much here for me. Again, I don't think the song deserves to be seven minutes either. Like the majority of Hardwired songs, it's just way too long. Uh, it's a little in- entitled, perhaps. But let's talk about the the, the themes of the song lyrically. Um, James was interviewed in So What. He gave his own personal interpretation of the song, saying, quote, this song is biblical, the Garden of Eden. You know, wow, you've got it all, but you want more. You've got all this greatness, and then it's torn, the biblical story but let's go back to the goodness of man man is sinful and has to crawl and try to make up it's like we're always down below in the higher powers eyes and we have to prove ourselves over and over daily that we're not evil and having faith in this world where everyone's out for themselves finding a negative in a bunch of stuff is at the end of the day to have faith in man instead of just blaming it on mankind there are some unkind people out there but having faith that we can get through that or they learn about it or somehow they become more part of the solution instead of the problem um how did you see the lyrics? How do you see the message of Man Unkind? Um, I mean, I haven't, I, I haven't really given it much thought. Um, sure. I, um, but I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to find this. Um, I feel like it's a. It, I mean, as it says in the lyrics, it's a quest. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's like this ongoing trying to find where. Um, um, where do we all? I mean, where where do we all lie on this? Um, uh, on this, I guess, playing field of 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 like between good and evil, to to say. I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's such a common sort of idea of James, uh, you know, theme of James really battling demons, uh, becoming hostage to my mind, which I quite like as well. I mean, the pun is implicit in the chorus, faith in man, unkind, which again, really just has me groaning. I mean, we're recording this in a festive period, and it really is a kind of Christmas cracker joke of a chorus line. Um, there's some nice stuff here as well. James inhabiting more demonic imagery, you know, new way, British heaven, like sea by the day frozen captive by the night and the way he sings seized by the day has a nice rise to it as well but i don't know you know like i said hardwide's been out two years i listened to this album a hell of a lot obviously like everyone else and this just isn't one of those songs that's really stuck with me it is one of the ones i'm more likely to skip i think yeah um i mean it was it was it was for me one of the ones that i i'd skip to um but i mean it's it, i don't know i there, there's just something about um just the constant changes in the signatures mm. that 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 just um i don't know it it, hel- it helps me get through the whole seven minutes because <laughs> it, it's it's just it's just constantly changing uh-huh uh-huh yeah 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 it's quite amorphous definitely and it does have a kind of nebulous feel and there is a lot of skill and you know time that the guys have put in and they say in that um making of video as well you, you know greg says we've still got a hell of a lot of work to go and they all understand that they all know that all of these songs you know need a lot of work for them there's a cool moment of james in the vocal booth with the um brazil cliff burton flag perennially behind him and he's got like this slicer effect as he's playing the main riff and it has quite a unique uh, percussive vibe there this song has been played twice live just two times um first time was september 10th 2017 in paris and the second time was the uh, 
the um, concert before I saw them in Birmingham, the October 28th concert of the same year in Manchester. The Manchester footage is online, and I watched it beforehand, and you do get to appreciate different sections of the song when you see it played out. Um, have, you, have you watched any live performances of this, Sam? Yes, I actually I, I watched the Manchester performance. Um, the one thing I do, um, I, it, it, it got me was, uh, um, it's just James at the end of the song just goes, the song's like math. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Math unkind. And I can definitely yeah. see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as always, we open it up to the at Metallica pod on the Twitter. Um, you know, every song I ask people's feedback. So if you want to follow, if you want to get that feedback read out, um, get in touch with me there. Few suggestions. One from Luke saying it's kind of just hardwired filler to me, to be honest. But the intro is decent. Not one I skip, but not one I've listened to outside the album as a whole. John Hahn saying try playing along with it and getting the syncopation right. I love it. Michael saying a cool callback to the bluesy stylings of Load and Reload. Not one of Hardwired's better songs, but an enjoyable listen nonetheless. San Wallow echoing a lot of the thoughts saying filler, but interesting filler. Cool intro though. Alex Finney, great finisher. Alex saying, I had watched a documentary until the light. I had watched a documentary until the light takes us a few days before seeing the video. So my first lesson was coloured by that serendipity. I hope to catch his song during the tour, as I don't think it will be a future live staple. This is among my favourites from Hardwired Self Drug. Favourites, Alex. I mean, you know, you know, I hugely respect your opinion, Alex, but favourites. Wow. Okay. Um, and then uh, Rai from Sabbath Podcast, of course as we always say I heard um, Clint mention this as well go check out Sabbath Bloody Podcast an incredible podcast about Black Sabbath and the associated bands and artists uh, he says I love the intro part but the track is pretty filler once it gets going I would have liked them to use it to open the album a la Fight Fire or Battery as I've never been a fan of the fade in on Hardwired so that would remedy that in a badass way no and finally Metallicast saying definitely check out Metallicast as well another great Metallica podcast saying sleeper song on the album in my opinion first listen I heard it as a filler song repeated listens have turned it into one of my faves of the album major sabbath feel in sections any um closing thoughts for yourself on this song sam i mean this is uh i mean i i i can see where some of the people are saying it's just filler and everything but the um i uh the person that said uh um that it's one of their favorite tracks on i mean i'm i'm with them on that one it's like it, mm-hmm. like i said it's a, it's one of my top five from this album um it's right. it, it's just very unique of a song it's uh not only that it, it's just the second part feels like it's a another song within another song mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, it feels like it's you're getting two songs in one but i, I can see why people would think that's probably just filler yeah yeah it certainly goes places it's just I, I, I don't know, it, it brings back a lot of bad memories for me of Load and Reload, where the riffs don't have have any character, really, and they just feel kind of on a, on a production line. But, you know, hey, this is music, and what I hear is filler, someone will hear is Bohemian Rhapsody, and vice versa as well. And, you know, that's okay, that's what we're here for. We're talking about uh, "Here Comes Revenge" from Hardwired. Where does Hardwired as a record rank for you amongst the? Oh, <laughs> um, I would say it's um, uh, not in the 
top three. It's around okay. the top five. I, I uh, it's below the all the eighties records for me. Okay, okay. I'm, ha- I'm happy you yeah, said I, that. I think exactly there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. If you were. Uh, you know, look, a lot of people get divided because I'm a little bit of a sort of, I'm a bit apathetic on Hardwired for oh, the yeah, most yeah. point, <laughs> uh, as, as, as that's came across quite clearly. And um, I, never better are my issues manifest than in Here Comes Revenge, which I think <laughs> has a lot going for it and is quite an enjoyable song. And and let's get yeah. into it. What do you make of the, the, the intro, first of all? It reminds me a little bit of the end of um, Whom the Bell Tolls. You know, the world sort of cracking open, these high frequencies, Kirk sort of whamming over, like this great kaiju beast. It's There's not really much going on in that first minute, but it builds an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most people actually compared to Leopard Messiah's uh, intro, yeah. which which I definitely see. And obviously the repeating pattern is something that Metallica has done quite a bit, starting with Am I Evil, obviously. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess it works. And the, the weird thing Kirk is doing, it almost sounds like what Cliff is doing on um, Call of Cthulhu. Yes. I, I'm not sure what these sounds are supposed to represent, because obviously in Cthulhu there was a clear message what, these noises are supposed to be. It's just like the concept of revenge, I guess. I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, it's creating a certain atmosphere for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then we get into kind of following that first minute, some sort of thrashy ideas, which are kind mm. of, you know, here and there into the chunk. And then we get into the main riff, which is kind of the bedrock of the song. Neo, 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 neo. You know, yeah, I yeah. love how uh, James hangs on that. And it's such a motif, isn't it? Such an earworm. Yeah, it's 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 uh, definitely gets stuck in your ears. And actually, I wanted to mention the the riff before that. For it's kind of hard to miss. It's only played a couple of times, but mm. I, it might be actually my favorite riff on the song. The one in between the, you know, the toms. Yes, I know uh, which one intro, you mean. Yeah. And, yeah, and the main riff. It's a it's quite an enjoyable riff, and probably my favorite. Actually, actually, it reminds me of mouth. For war from Pantera. If mm. you listen to that, there is a quite a resemblance there. But it's it's something that's easy to miss. But I think it's worthy of mentioning. Yeah, and and, and a riff as itself, it's you know it's got to be more than the the, the subject of its parts. It's got to begin well and it's got to end well. And I think mm. the end of the main for the now 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 it's just so tight and so satisfying. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, like Enter Sandman, which obviously is three parts of yes. the same riff, and then it has a bit of a different ending, which yeah, yeah which definitely works yeah, yeah 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 it's very it's very cohesive it buttresses itself it's got the classic sort of hetfield chug underneath mm. and oh, yeah. you know I, I enjoy the riff and the riff is used a hell of a lot it's like you know the native americans that have to use every part of the animal like james gets everything <laughs> out of this here comes revenge riff and it's gonna sound like a tom quee alpha metallica thing to say about these songs i do think the song's too long it's the second longest song on Hardwired, actually. Is it? Yeah, wow. it's longer than Spit Out the Bone and obviously uh, shorter than Halo on Fire. Yeah. But as we move forward, I, there's a lot of ideas in this song that I have to praise. I really like the verse. I like the drums and I like the minimal guitar notes that really oh, yeah. kind yeah. of, you know, they uh, whittle out something interesting. Yeah, and, and bass is kind of pumping. Yeah. like, and, and the making of video, James kind of compares it to a heartbeat. Which definitely makes sense. Oh yes, I didn't actually watch the studio video. Oh, Is there it, any, yeah, any it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. It's 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 um, from the early versions you hear. It's 
kind of sounded more upbeat at first, okay. like the way he sung and uh, the way the chord progressions went in the verse specifically. It sounded a bit kind of happier, like yeah, kind of like Spit Out the Bone was a bit different in the beginning as well. I think it's worth checking out. It's, a, it's obviously all the making of videos are interesting. Oh, but yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Pick up, pick up some things from there. I but know. yeah, yeah, uh, the the verse, it's... Yeah, works works very yeah. well, especially yeah. it's nice. You it's know, nice. the, the it's, heartbeat and it does. revenge. You know, it does. <laughs> the fear, it does. I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The dread and yeah. it, 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 the making of was called RL seventy two. That was like, yeah, exactly. What, yeah. What's that? Do they explain that reference? Or? Um, I'm not sure myself. No. It, Lars mentions Riff Lord. Riff Lord. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Maybe. Well, I mean, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, any 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 Metallica song. <laughs> we have Metallica has a Riff Lord in their man. Yeah. At yeah. the front. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what 72 might stand for, but. Yeah, no, well, I mean, yeah, who knows? It, it, it couldn't even be a year, could it? 1972. There's no, nothing yeah, in that musical era yeah, yeah. really feels of that of that ilk. And similar to, you know, a lot of metallic songs, a lot of metal songs in general, you get the soft notes replicated by the heavier distorted notes, like in Harvest, for example, as we go forward with the verse, into the chorus, which I think is a real highlight of the song, really catchy, reminds me a little bit of Now That We're Dead. It's quite poppy, the chorus, I feel. Hmm. Yeah, perhaps, but actually the guitars underneath are very low. They're staying yeah. on the on the um, obviously the E, uh, the zeros and the ones on the E fret, and uh, yeah, but yeah, I think I think it works very well. And when I was listening to the song, I feel it's kind of the uh, the production really works well. I feel if 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 I had a bit of a weaker one, it wouldn't. Be as powerful, but it really punches like here comes revenge, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the guitars are kind of going into that riff, and it works quite quite well. Yeah, and I guess the reason I say pop is just it's got a certain playful element. Is like you know, mm. the way it goes, just for you. It's just yeah, the, yeah. The melody's got a bit of a charge to it. It's got a bit of a bounce for it. The eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There's a mm -hmm. lot of ideas going on here uh, with James and his. It's not just him just, I don't know, screaming out something basic or whatever, or just that's just the chorus is a single syllable. Or And the song itself, I should say, um, James spoke in an interview with Marky Ramone uh, yeah, yeah. for Virgin Radio, and he said, quote, Revenge itself, it really came from, there's a fan of ours, and I was just trying to put myself in their shoes. There's a couple that showed up at so many shows, and they got into Metallica because their young daughter was a big fan, and she had gotten killed by a drunk driver. It just hit me. How can you guys find something positive in the world to connect you to your daughter again which was Metallica the music she loved instead of just snapping and wanting to just become bitter and attack whoever did this so I'm kind of putting myself in those shoes and how revenge must feel really powerful and great to do but it doesn't satisfy that urge and it's quite a poignant wellspring for Hetfield to draw from yeah yeah and on Hardwired especially he got a lot of influence for his lyrics from some I mean bad stuff happening you know like in Moth into Flame uh, and uh, hardwired itself, like his friend says, are we hardwired to self-destruct? And obviously spit out the bone for the, I guess, for the potential future, of course, but the, I, I see it kind of as an allegory to the technology, how it took us over, maybe the young generation and the phones and such. Yeah, yeah and, and this song in there as well is, yeah, oh, 
Metallica's never been known for cheery lyrics, so... No, 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 yeah. of course not. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, again, you know, the, the chorus is a bit of a high point for me. The song, mm. you know, strips down as well, goes back into the verses, and, and we yeah, move yeah, forward exactly. with this um, signal riff. Uh, for me, I don't really like the bridge riff as we're getting into the solo idea. It kind of incorporates a now, 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 now. It just feels a little... I don't know. It just feels like James didn't have a better idea here, so he just sort of recut the main riff. Yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, it's it's weird because it is the second longest song on the album. It doesn't really feel like it, I think, and yeah. especially because the middle section doesn't have much to it. No, it it's, it has this yeah vari- uh, variation on the main riff, and then we have the solo, and then it has a bit of a doodle at the end, but there isn't really a specific like huge... no there's not like a second movement to the song yeah, really it's, yeah, kind of, it's, it's like a four minute song stretched like yeah yeah i um i wouldn't i <clears throat> don't really know how to what to change them maybe add more riffs or something but it, it doesn't feel necessarily that stretch feels natural but yeah. it just so happened that it's seven minutes long, however it is. Yeah, it's a it's a fun song. You know, it has that long intro as well, which adds to it. Yeah, it, it, I would I wouldn't say it's a drag. For no, 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 it. no. I think there's a lot of. I mean, in my eyes, there's a lot of boring stuff on Hardwired, mm. and I wouldn't yeah. really talk about here comes revenge now i think it's kind of one of the more successful numbers especially on the second disc as well yeah yeah um, exactly which you know is clearly the uh the, the more inferior of the two there now you know we have to do this every time we talk about hardwood <laughs> every time we talk about death magnetic i really think kirk solo is bad here I, I i like again lars just needs to invent an app an ipad app that has 20 buttons and he just presses them in random order and out pops a kirk solo because it's going to be as good as anything you get on this album <laughs> yeah maybe get it maybe get it like a yeah yeah exactly it's just a like the guitar solo can be such a beautiful you know a mm. short a poem a short story a real narrative that you're conjuring and it just kirk just he's just letting his fingers fly like but yeah we 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 all know hardwired's not kirk's album no and he R- r.i.p his phone yeah. with all these ideas apparently <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't know if i believe that but yeah it's well it is a shame but hopefully yeah. he, he next time they go into studio hill I, I think he has the motivation to to yeah get it all out all the ideas yeah. <laughs> you know in his head or in his phone it, and, it, it must be uh you know you must have a bit of an inferiority complex though being around james it's like george harrison with john and paul you know you've got this <laughs> juggernaut in the band and you've got to bring a class material for it to keep his interest maybe it's an issue of them just not giving him much time because I, I, I from what i recall in the interviews he said he had a much more uh natural way of composing if you can say that because uh he said that on the early albums he actually wrote the solos note by note like 80 yeah. percent of it was written and here he said he just decided to let it fly how how whatever he feels and it may work or it may not. I think. I, I think. Yeah. Obviously, there are much more misses than hits in this case. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know the band can be on autopilot slightly after the solo. They do the same thing that happens after the solo on Helpless. This also happens after the solo on Helen Back. They just sort of do an ascending chromatic thing, the da 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 da, like yeah. almost like a, a warm up exercise on the fretboard. And I, <laughs> I don't think it's that exciting. And then we just strip back. And they, I think they know they've got a money chorus here. They know they've got a strong anchor uh, for the main point of the song. And you know I've been critical on Here Comes Revenge, but I have to say all in all it's it's pretty good song no it's good it's very solid i think and and people agree i checked out the comments and people are saying that's the best song on the album some wow. people think apparently yeah come on better I mean, than I, moth are you kidding me like well yeah, to each their own <laughs> to each know? their own yeah exactly to each their own it's actually ne- <laughs> never been performed live and i don't think there's many songs of hardwired that are yet to be debuted <clears throat> yeah it's it's i believe the whole first um this has been played, and then it's Confusion and Spit Out the Bone. So pretty much everything in between Confusion and Spit Out the Bone, we, we're waiting for at the moment. Right. They have been practicing it, though. They, they teased it last year. Yes. And uh, there have yeah. been videos from the uh, tuning room where they tried to play it. And only Lars and Rob seemed to, seemed to remember how to play it. And that was a year ago. <laughs> Right, but right, who, right. who who knows if if they'll have any surprises for the tour that's starting um, next month? I think. Yeah, why not? Open yeah, with open. Here Comes Revenge. Just throw that <laughs> out there. Um, I'm just looking at stills of the music video, which I've actually never seen. It's like an, uh, an animated cool. video. It looks quite cool. It's, it's very it's very well done. It's yeah. quite quite um, distinct from other videos, which are obviously not animated. Yeah. And, yeah, it's very much worth a worth a look. It's quite quite dreadful. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm, uh... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything. There is kind of a story in there. Okay. <clears throat> obviously related to revenge, but it's it's very interesting. Like it's a lot of work. You can see it's hand drawn. I'm not sure how much computer uh, work has been done in there, but yeah, it's it's definitely one of the more outstanding ones from all the. Well, thirteen, you can say music videos. Yeah, that is cool. Actually, I just um, it's directed by someone called Jess Cope. I'm just on her IMDb, mm. and she's actually done stuff like Frank and Weenie and uh, Postman Pat. I don't know if you know Postman Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I, our US I, listeners will know, but yeah, it's a big, um, big kids show in the UK, which has a very distinct animated style. Yeah. So, okay, that's cool. Yeah, um, I mean, me and Sam Wiles, we do um, the, the music videos retrospective, and I think we're just getting up mm. to the hardwired era. So we'll definitely touch on that. Any, any closing? Thoughts on Here Comes Revenge, Yuri? Uh, well, it's definitely quite a very solid track, I would say. Mm-hmm. There is certainly a, an amount of enjoyment you can get from it. There definitely. are obviously a lot of hardwired critics, but I think this one, being being on the second album, uh, second disc, I mean, and for what it is, it's definitely one of the stronger ones. go through the channel as well you know this is early days we're not out the first letter yet but 
you know, check out the earlier A's that we've had. I've had some great guests. We've had Alex Cottrell, had my man Dave, you know, had Martin Popov, the journalist, Andrei Veselenko, the Ukrainian, you know, virtuoso vlogger. Check out his vlogs. Incredible. Um, we did uh, All Nightmare Long. So, so good. You know, it, it's been a it's been a great ride so far and it's still so, so early into the thing. So, yeah, I just want to kick off by saying thank you to everyone for listening to the show as well. Let's get into this. So, Am I Savage? It's... You know, obviously, Hardwired is this thing that's touted as this incredible record, but I think a lot of people are quite honest with themselves um, on Hardwired. And, you know, it's a double album. It's kind of, it's quite easy to forget, really. Um, but the first disc is far stronger. I think the first disc, Hardwired, Atlas Rise, None That Were Dead, Moth Into Flame, Dream No More, Halo on Fire. You know, it's strong. Like, it really is. If you've maybe had these songs on shuffle and not realized, you know, chronologically where they were, that is strong. And Am I Savage takes place on a back end that has, like, Man Unkind you know i don't mind here comes revenge actually confusion's quite good but yeah obviously spit out the bone kind of anchors the back of the second one as well but yeah murder one is you know um am i savage for me is just kind of like a symptom of this album really you know it's it's well made and like i can't really criticize i can't really say oh it's like a a factory metallica song or whatever because you know metallica are such uh gentlemen's in the social media sense that they share all these videos i'm sure many people listening are aware of these videos these videos which basically kind of takes you inside their studio space they've been doing it in a certain sense, for a long time. I mean, you look back to maybe the Black Album videos, you know, in the year and a half sort of stuff. It's quite, you know, they're very candid. They show you a lot of the moments in there. But in terms of actual sort of manicure digital entities, you know, Death Magnetic and Hardwired especially have continued this trend, you know, of here is their song and here is them kind of writing the song. And, you know, Am I Savage is no different. And what I should say is kind of an alphabetical thing as well. When I'm in sort of encountering these sort of songs here, these kind of newer songs that have a bit more of a context to them as well, I am going to be looking at their extra videos here so yeah there is a am i savage video it's called Sawblade, and yeah you know like all the other ones it has kind of a oddly charismatic title that is kind of the working title that rarely becomes what it is and you know for anyone not aware it kind of takes place in their headquarters and there's multiple cameras around and you just get to see them working on riffs and stuff it's fucking great you know it's very very cool they're very compelling i've watched i believe there's like a death magnetic one out there that's like I think it's like three hours 50 or something. It's like all of them put together and like as being someone like I love battle rap and like often people will put together like all this person's rounds, you know, and it'll be like years of content and stuff like that. It'll be like four hours or something. This is similar. You can just sort of binge watch this creative process. You know, it's great to sort of go through, especially with, you know, someone like James to see him sort of coming up with stuff. And, you know, the song itself, like I'll sort of pepper the analysis of the kind of behind the scenes stuff around the song or, or my opinion of the song. And then, as I say, we'll get into the forum opinions as well. Again, if if you have an opinion on this song or any songs coming up or past, get in contact with me on the Twitter at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. But it starts uninterestingly to me, Am I Savage, really. It's kind of those dissonant arpeggios that kind of, you know, there's nothing really characteristic about them, to be honest with you. And then that really kind of bland tone of Kirk's that kicks in, that kind of nothing soloing. Like, I know this is a different type of song to say, like, you know, a fade to black or whatever, but th- this guy wrote fade to black, and now he's doing this just kind of very, you know, it's the same accusation that could be volleyed at his lead plane. You could volley at Newstead, like, you know, that dreaded sort of, I'm just following root notes, and he's kind of still doing that same mentality. Then, you know, the front and back 
Fate Black Solo is incredible, the Sanitarium intro solo, the one intro solo, this guy can do intro solos, but this just kind of covers the chord progression, it doesn't really do anything for me, and then the song kind of hypes up a bit more, so the guitar, you know, gets a bit more overdriven, and the rhythms are a bit more pronounced, and, you know, I guess similar to a sort of Harvester of Sorrow mechanic, but obviously that is far more interesting than what this is, it's got, not got the flesh on it, you know, and then... This song reminds me in a certain sense as well as kind of like, you know, that old proverb of sort of making every, like, you know, item of the cow usable, like kind of making everything in the song work. Like, I think I remember Brad Bird saying that, the sort of uh, Incredibles Iron Giant director or something like that about animation. But it kind of, it's got the same hunter-gatherer, dare I say, uh, Mr. Hetfield of um, of Colorado Vale, if, if Rogan serves me correctly. I listened to that recently. But, you know, a lot of the song gets reutilized in other places. And, you know, we have that dun dun. And that kind of, you know, which will come up into the chorus as well, that kind of long chromatic section. And then it gives way to the riff, that, you know, the kind of main aspect of this song, really. Although I would argue that in the battle of riffs in Am I Savage, this is probably a bit more immediate. But obviously there is the the kind of central breakdown riff which we get to, which is kind of definitely a highlight of this song. This kind of Alice in Chains sort of diet Pantera hybrid thing that kind of works, you know, in a way. And And, and here I'll just sort of cut to the actual footage that we get of, of behind-the-scenes stuff on their YouTube channel of this. And we sort of see initially Robert on this kind of spangly bass kind of chugging out, and uh, James enters and picks up his guitar, and we hear that sort of, you know, like kind of that, that you know, that perplexing, enticing kind of drift of the riff. Like, it's loads like load, <laughs> um, you know, but it's cool to see them play it through. It's cool just to see James in his zone on the guitar, hammering out the specifics of the riff to himself, really. Um, you know, the same way that he'd hammered out a battery or wasting my hate or, you know, anything. Just seeing him in that process is great. And the riff does have it kind of a curve, um, you know, to the song and kind of... And often the videos all sort of skip ahead, which is quite cool. So we'll sort of see, okay, here's James kind of coming in and doing it. Now here's James a day later in some some new football jersey of, of, of some of some local team, and uh, you know he's the riff is far heavier here, heavy and weird is what Lars calls it, which I think is a fair assumption really. And you know you get to see the three of them hammering it out, Hetfield uh, with the V. Lars as well, you know, and Hetfield, he's a wise man, you know, he's written some incredible material throughout his entire career, this isn't up there, but I mean, he's written some great, you know, he, he still maintains that sort of high level, and he understands what this sort of stuff is, and he says himself, you know, the riff is horrible, or it's great, but needs a lot of work, uh, it's very jerky, so maybe if they make the song, this is Hetfield, into a song like that, then it might be okay, you know, and equally in these songs as well, as I'm sure many people have seen throughout any of those behind-the-scenes videos, the flags uh, that Metallica have all around their compound are fascinating to see the various ones that have been kind of, you know, given as tributes from various camps across the court, they, 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 they are awesome, but, you know, the riff is there, and then it sort of goes into just a very... I don't know, did it not bother James that this is a Wolf of Man? Like, it is, and Wolf of Man's great, like, the main riff of Wolf of Man is fantastic, but this ain't a Wolf of Man, but this is still, you know, it's that Joe Rogan, I mean, I mentioned Joe Rogan before, I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan, and I'm sure many people are, you know, I think uh, Jordan Peterson said to him on a recent podcast, you know, you are the most listened to guy in the world, you know, maybe in the history of the world ever, which was kind of mind-blowing, but kind of just the, you know, he gets so many downloads, and, and, and a podcast is a much more intimate format than, say, a Letterman or a Larry King, or, you know, I, I don't know, whatever, work out your own metrics there, but it just, you know, Rogan's obsessed with the wolf, and, and the, you know, the descent into madness, and the man, and the kind of grey line between and you know James explores these ideas again lots of ooze you know the past will bite again 
Um, it's kind of the kind of a doubling that isn't too good here. A captive of the howl. I'm not, I'm, you know, he's not Tom Waits. Like, I get that. I'm not trying to kind of, like, make fun of James for what he isn't because, like, what he is is, is kind of incredible. But it just doesn't, like, you know, there's, there's some good singing here. Like, I think I think that kind of, you know, it, it, when we see him in the booth in, in the kind of behind-the-scenes video and the Cliff poster behind him as well, the Brazil poster, James sounds great on this record and you know uh, it is good on this song as well I think I think everything sounds good on this song but it's just it's that chromatic am I savage like I just I just don't know if it kind of like resonates with me that deeply to be honest with you I think I think the main thing of the song that I really really I like for instance Beauty and the Beast to Collide again why am I poking at uh, Hetfield's um, lyrics I guess because it's just giving me something to poke at I suppose I just don't you know I think I think he's explored this better beforehand it's not it's not def- but it just doesn't do itself any favours, really. Like, it has some really good bits. Like, it has that main riff, you know, that kind of, like, real kind of, you know, that kind of Crunchville sort of idea there, I think, is what they sort of touch upon here. And it just... boom, 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 like, And it kind of has that open kind of harmonic playing above it. But then you have sort of Kirk's... Kirk's just bland uh, to me. Like, a friend of the show, actually, Adam, we're going to team up soon and do... You may have noticed on the channel, I recently did, like, a top five Metallica riffs. Uh, top ten, I should say. Top ten Metallica riffs. And, I'm, you know, we're sort of trying to expand the channel myself, trying to expand the channel a bit more. You know, doing these kind of, you know, song-by-song sort of things. But it's also fun just to talk about general uh, Metallica ideas. And um, Adam's going to come on. I'm going to do a sort of Metallica versus Megadeth sort of thing because I'm, I'm a huge Megadeth fan. Although I should stress that, like, Megadeth from a certain era, like, I kind of like the first album, but I think I like, like, So Far So Good, So What, Peace Sells. And then, like, the ones that I adore are, like, Rust in Peace and Euthanasia. I'm not as tight on Countdown to Extinction. I, I think Euthanasia's way better, but whatever. I think Euthanasia's, like, almost pop metal, which makes it sound like a day to remember, but it's just... If you want just good riff, if you if you, if you think like, oh, I just want some good riffs, I just want like I, I just want these songs that have really good solos as well. And um, Marty Friedman, who was a solo player, um, soloist for Megadeth in that era, just he was mad. He was so good. And like when I listen to certain Metallica things, I'm like, oh, the solos just poor. I'm like, and I think Hardwired. Um, you know, good friends of the show, um, always check out the podcast, Metal Up Your Podcast, uh, Cliff and Ethan, uh, Clint and Ethan, I should say, uh, rest in peace, Cliff, but. They they always talk about as well how Kirk's soloing is lame of late and the hardwired stuff isn't very good. And, you know, on this, I think there's some stuff where he'll explode into a solo and it'll work. I think Moth into Flame works. I think that kind of is that kind of outpour of energy. But this one needed to make a little bit more black album, a little bit more lyrical, a little bit more a narrative to kind of get past. But no, I think his stuff here is just kind of, you know, on that pentatonic run here, kind of pointing out fun bends that he can just kind of exploit over the melody. It's... Yeah, not you know, it, it comes at a cost really, and the cost is that it just makes it just quite a kind of some tedious exposure here. And then, as I say, the song repeats itself as well. The song brings back that kind of ushery riff um, to the forefront. Ah, my savage, you know, him sort of as it chugs down, retreating backwards. It, it's not a bad exchange, you know. All in all, it's not a bad song. It's six minutes thirty, though. It's quite a long song. Um, I mean, Metallica write long songs. That's just kind of like their mo. I get that, but regardless, like you know, it does it does sort of pack a punch here there is kind of um quite a lot here and i think in the grand pantheon of the long metallica songs it's not one of the uh stalwarts 
So now it's to the forum. I want to say thanks again to everyone on the forum who I reached out to. I mean, who knows? This could be a cool section just to do every episode even, you know, just to reach out and see what people think. But yeah, let's get into it. This was, uh, you know, that's my take on the song. I should I should stress that. And like, I think um, quite a few people, you know, got to me recently, messaged me and just saying like, oh, it's quite, you know, it's quite different because you're like a load guy. No, sorry, you don't like load. And so I don't like load, but like you're saying anger more. And like it is. And I realize that like the same anger thing and isn't, but it's like we all agree that we all like love this band and it's kind of like you know the the kind of criticism i should stress is kind of maybe theatrical to a slight extent and i just want to kind of you know i do believe what i say and like i do want to criticize songs fairly but you know obviously the band are awesome and it is great to speak to fans as well so shout out to all the guys that got in contact uh damage crosby stead uh says love this song uh would be great to see it pop up on the set yeah it hasn't actually been played uh live there is the music video um, I am going to do something. Re- 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 I kind of want to review music videos as a kind of thing, uh, as a kind of theatrical thing. But like, I will get to the music video actually of this. But um, yeah, it's interesting. You would think that a kind of undeath magnetic. They seem to play the world magnetic. They play the majority of the songs out there, and I, I don't see why they wouldn't play this. I, I don't. I don't see it being too difficult of a song. And you know, I think. I think you know, it, it's not a bad song. And uh, Metallica. 084 says good Mintepo song nothing more nothing less I'd rate 7 out of 10 he gives actually a really good uh, review here so shout out to that guy he continues nice intro to the common Metallica template of starting slow and building up to the heavier main riff I was actually surprised upon first listening to the, al- uh, the album that the intro to the confusion to confusion was not the intro to Am I Savage due to the music sim- similarities to the Am I Evil intro yeah there is kind of a lineage there between the two I agree he says uh, main riff is kind of bouncy but almost happy vibe to it which I like and does fit the song well but the simple nature of the riff allows it to become quickly mundane I, I I do agree, yeah. By the time the riff comes back in after the last chorus, it's easy to see just how stock Lars' voice the riff actually is. Yeah, it's impossible not to use stock in the vernacular, isn't it, when critiquing Metallica? I don't know what it is. Uh, he continues, The verses on the song are catchy, and James' vocals top-notch, as they are on the entire album, in my opinion. The pre-chorus is very interesting, as it's something that we haven't really heard in the Metallica record. Very eerie-sounding, and the way James plays sounds very Megadeth to my ears. Oh, okay. Probably my favourite part of the song due to the unique song in relation to the rest of the Metallica's large discography now from my favorite part of the song to my least favorite part of not only the song but the entire record the chorus is what really brings the song down for me there's nothing particularly bad to critique yet at the same time there is nothing to praise yeah I, i've got to say simply put it's a little boring he continues bland etc which is the worst thing you can really say about a chorus the chorus should be the catchiest part of the song and this just doesn't wow me from the simple instrumentation under the vocals to the vocal melody itself or lack thereof it's just disappointing especially coming after the stellar pre-chorus the solo from kirk is nothing to rave about but also not horrible like most of kirk's solos on the album it fits well and does an admirable job filling the gap between breakdown riff and third verse but ultimately it's unremarkable and quickly forgotten yes the breakdown riff is great the breakdown riff is great uh it's very heavy uh, he continues with the classic hetfield chug the new wrinkle to it almost has a late 90s early oos early noughties i should say uh machine head sound perhaps the heaviest riff on the album alongside the dream no more chorus riff yeah it probably is actually yeah um overall i enjoy the song but would say it's my least played on the hardware which is an excellent album not a bad song despite my critiques and it had more characters of course it would definitely garner more praise from me as i really do enjoy the rest of the song well thank you metallica uh 084084 thank you so much man metallica i should say that was a, a great review i really appreciate that so definitely that was uh that was well read and uh tim j moa who has been in touch with me good good guy as well did seems dig show states uh am i savage one of my favorite songs the album the slow hard bluesy sound is awesome i totally see it as a sequel to a wolf man it's also a metaphor for addiction and or anger problems what seals it for me though is the video see i actually haven't seen the video i have to admit so here we go tim what's the review that video is amazing the guy goes through life taking part but not really being totally involved with those around him all the while there is something inside him waiting to destroy it all great song paired revenge is in my opinion the best two song duo on any of their albums thank you man uh talakaman 994 love it especially the 
string muting in the end, uh, in the middle, I should say. Uh, Gadrian says, not not terrible, or Gadrian, not terrible, not great. I skip it most of the time. Ryan B, definitely not among the worst things they've done, but it's easily my least favourite on the album. Again, though, it's certainly not a terrible song. It's just kind of mad to me. Yeah, I, I feel that, I feel that. Um... And then we have uh, E.D. Roderick saying, I don't know, man, it's one of the songs I only play when I listen to the whole record, along with Man and Kind and Murder One. For some reason, it hasn't grown on me, but I like the main riff. Kirk's solos are on point here, and of course, Popperhead's performance is neat, it is. Kind of reminds me of St. Anger for some reason. Yeah, I, I can sort of feel that, yeah. It's sort of the guitar is very pronounced in a certain way, and it's probably a bit more riffy than St. Anger ever got. It's probably Dirty Windows, probably as riffy as it got, but I guess, you know... Um, some kind of monster kind of has, you know, you can say all my hands, you can say there are riffs on Say Anger, but I think kind of in a, you know, Hetfield vein, it's slightly different to that. But yeah, Motorhead are, you know, do have a huge lineage, no doubt. But is there much progression in the music as someone who's listened to them much? Because my impression of them is there's like that fast Eddie, is it? Their guitar player or one of their guitar yes, players. Yeah. He's Eddie laying Clark, down some, yeah. some scuzz, like, you know, look at your, your Ace of Spades or, you know, whatever. Um, I think but, these bands are a very riff-driven thing. Did, did they have many different structural ideas as they go through? Or was no. it very that sort of thing? No, absolutely not. No. It, that's, that's, that's not the point. Yeah. It's, it's playing three chords as loud as you fucking possibly can and being about as rock and roll and lemmy as you can like there, there's no kind of like oh wow there's a there's a i wasn't expecting that pre-chorus at the beginning there it's interesting <laughs> this is their 12 minute epic like it's yeah, not yeah. they're not a prog band they're basically a punk yeah. it's pro, proto metal i don't know people call it speed metal yeah lemmy just always called it rock and roll we are motorhead and we play rock and roll was always his yeah, yeah. intro before every show and um it's like it's basically like tw- a lot of it's 12 bar blues played at like 150 BPM. Yeah. <laughs> Most of it is literally three chords. And Lemmy is just hitting his, his bass playing is just weird. He's just playing every string at once as hard as he possibly can. And uh, to, to go into kind of bass tone nerdiness, yeah. his, his mids, so the, the middle frequencies of his bass are absolutely cranked. And the, the bass and the treble are completely turned down and that's where he gets that think the intro of ace of spades the most famous kind oh, yeah. of motorhead song that really kind of driven punchy bass tone that's all the mid-range you're not hearing very much low end on that one think of compare that to i don't know like james jason's tone on the black album where it's very scooped it's complete opposite and yeah let me just kind of all the guys, it's the same drum beat. It's that for every song. I always make the joke in, in, in my band, we do a cover of Ace of Spades and I, I sing it, do a, like a bad Lemmy impression. And I always just sing Overkill over the top of it because they're the same sure. song. <laughs> it's the same chords, it's the same structure. It's hit as many things as loudly as you can. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's Motet. To, to kind of come back to Murder One, this is like the least Motorhead song ever. Yeah. And I find that so bizarre. That it, and, and, and I'll kind of touch upon it in a minute. I feel like it sounds like a bunch of other songs, but nothing like any Motorhead stuff. And I assumed, you know, they've done 
Metallica have done Moto covers loads. on Garage Inc. back in the past. They've played loads live before. They've played with mm-hmm. Lemmy live uh, before. Yeah. Damage Case, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then this is like, oh, it's just a Metallica song about Lemmy. It is, it I is. It's just, it's just them sort of name-checking songs. It's very similar to Megadeth's yeah. Victory off Euthanasia, if you've heard that, where yes, Dave Mustaine does all song titles. And it's not as kind of explicit um, as that. But just, just to get back to Lemmy quickly, Lemmy the rock star, Lemmy who I've seen live twice, one um, not at a concert. So I saw him, I saw Motorhead support Foo Fighters in 2006 in Hyde nice. Park with Angel and Airwaves and Juliet Lewis and her lip. Um, so yeah it was quite an interesting lineup what a lineup yeah yeah <laughs> very 2006 lineup i was there with my older cousin and his sort of cool friends or whatever and we went there and um you know they they, they were decent they played they did a louis louis cover i remember and he had a lot of charisma even from the back of the field they had this song what was it, it was like this really like 10 minute blues jam and it basically the whole song was him discharge such style just saying like just because you have the power you don't have the right and like everyone was cheering yeah. and and then he closed by saying, like, oh, this is just a little blues song, and then kicked into that Ace of Spades intro. But anyway, yeah. I used to work at the Liverpool Guild when I was a student at the University of Liverpool, and used to work at the bar during gigs or whatever, and you get there early to set up. And Motorhead were playing that night, so I actually worked the bar and the cloakroom while they were doing it, and he was in there sound-checking in this tiny school hall. And that bass tone <laughs> was like a chop to the throat, you know what I mean? It's a very really lead instrument. Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And they, the, the lyrics very much touch upon the, you know, the um, he or thunder still feeding back. Yeah, like, yeah. that is absolutely talking about Lemmy's bass tone. Mm. That's a ridiculous kind of... And even at his funeral, they did the, like, final strum of the bass lent it oh, up against right. the, the amp and just left it ringing. And it's just this cacophonous, ground-shaking noise, just which is... <laughs> You know exactly what yeah. Ian Kilminster would have wanted at his funeral. You know? <laughs> I think he, um, I think he worked on this Aussie album, uh, No More Tears. I think he wrote. He, some he of the co-wrote songs. a bunch of Aussie songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I think he did like Hellraiser, which is a really good one. He's secretly kind of like, like, like a like a prince kind of character, where he's written sure. a bunch of really famous songs and nobody has any idea they're written by prince yeah and yeah all, all you'll think of like famous like you said for from that aussie era a, half that album if not more is written by lemmy yep. or co-written by lemmy mm-hmm. with aussie because mm-hmm. they've been friends for decades at that point and yeah. it's like yeah it's weird it's weird to think that he's off you know playing the same three chords at 100 miles an hour but also writing like balance with Aussie, yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> yeah, he's um, yeah, he's an icon. Um, what more can you say, really? I think he was Hendrix's roadie early on as well. Yep. I remember watching the Lemmy documentary, and he was talking about how Hendrix would stomp the boxes so hard they'd fall apart, and he'd have to rebuild them before each gig. But um, let's uh, let's get to the song then, which mm. opens with a very basic, very boring arpeggio metallica are obsessed with this b5 shape aren't they for their they really are for their yeah. for their ballad so for anyone like imagine the fretboard you're playing the second on the a and the fourth on the d you know that shape that power chord shape for those who maybe can imagine it uh sonically you know you have fade to black the sanitarium, sanitarium one it's, it's absolutely sanitarium it, yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it even goes up the neck like sanitarium does it goes up like yeah yeah, it's, oh, yeah. It, that really annoys me. 
It annoys me. It annoys me as well. It annoys me on the same irrational level when band names are similar. It's like the Stone Temple Pilots. You can't call your band Twenty One Pilots, or it's like it's like you know what I mean. Or it's like it's like Rage Against the Machine. Don't call your band Rise Against, and don't have the same lyrical. Like I I don't know. That's just a little thing. Never occurred to me in a million years, but now I have that (laughs) irrational anger as well. You'll see it everywhere. You'll see it. Me with it now, Tom. Thanks. But that's the problem because. You know, but the thing is, those three songs that you mentioned do kind of break away, I think, and, you know, define themselves. But Murder One opens with this sort of desultory, bland mode, you know, and they do what they always do on hardware. They do on Am I Savage, as you mentioned before. They kind of introduce a sequence and get slightly heavier. The drums get introduced. Little parts of the riff are given some meat on the bones and the whole thing comes crashing in. And it's just so predictable. Yeah. I mean, they've been doing it since... Like take um the day that never comes. That's mm-hmm. the like quiet intro, and then, bum yeah, bum bum, just that big like kind of like you said comes crashing in with every instrument hits a couple of notes, and then back to a quiet clean guitar for a bit, <laughs> and then back to like crashing yeah bass drums everything, and then yeah, and I, I, I've like it blew my mind when I, I remember first hearing this song. I was like, oh my god, what is this sanitarium thing? Yeah, yeah. and then the next bit, it's fucking immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Which is the last like 30 seconds of Immigrant Song. They even hit that C chord, the off kind of like, it's yeah, a, yeah. It, as you were talking on the fretboard there, Tom, like second mm. fret on the E string, the octave to that, the the 2 4 kind of. So it's exactly it's in the exact same key as as it, yeah, song. it's hammering that F sharp as Jimmy did all those years ago. I, you're you're yeah. totally right. Yeah, it's like a slow crap immigrant song. <laughs> it just annoys me. <laughs> An immigrant song is like one of the most like oh, you know yeah. epic, iconic, rip roaring. Just yes, horns in the air, mm-hmm. screaming as loud as you can. And this is just dun 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 dun. Yeah, it's like somebody trying to work out how to play immigrant song and they can't quite get it yet. <laughs> Like, is, this, is this the one? No, no. Oh, no, no. It's the here on the fretboard. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. Like, it's 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 oh. some of the stockiest stuff Metallica have ever done. Oh, um, yeah. To quote Lars Ulrich. Jesus. From... This is it's a fucking... fucking stock, man. This is like a few laps of stock cars in fucking Stockport. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's such a cantering, empty bloated buffoonish oh, wiggle answer, answering like, is a good way to describe you it. know i hate you can, you can tell you're a poet Tom. <laughs> i just yeah i really i really can't deal with this riff to be honest it really feels like it's treading water it's really dull and there's just it's hard to explain but sometimes when you listen to songs you're thinking okay james singing over oh, the man. riff and they're letting the sort of the notes dictate where the melody goes or they're just moving yeah. in a certain direction and this just feels that way it doesn't feel that like riff and melody cohere naturally they just feel welded together they really do i find that in in the modern metallica so i'm thinking like death magnetic and hardwired mm-hmm. There are a couple of songs on each of those albums where it's just like, we have a good riff and I have no idea what I'm going to sing over it. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to say a certain amount of syllables because um, if you guys and, and Tom, you probably know this as well. Like they released all the making of videos of yeah, all the different yeah. songs on hardware and almost every single time James comes in with no lyrics and just does his like, whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. whoa, ooh, ooh, ah, 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 and then works out lyrics later on. And this, the working yeah. title of this was Frankenstein, and you couldn't tell oh, yeah. because it's it's just a bunch of riffs. 
It, yeah, from, yeah. From stolen from other bands. Yeah. And even like this, I think this may be the biggest stretch. Like I think the immigrant song thing and the sanitarium one, uh, fade to black thing is the most blatant. But even the murder, oh murder one, those three chords sounds like the bridge in Painkiller by Judas Priest to me, just really okay. slow again. It's the faster than a laser bullet. That bit mm-hmm. in the middle of Painkiller is the dun 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 dun. Right, right, yeah. It's the same chords again as Painkiller by Judas Priest, just slow and crap. And I don't. <laughs> and it's just a bunch of covers of other songs, but slow and crap <laughs> mashed together, and none of it's fucking Motorhead. It's, it's it kind Motorhead? of the worst possible tribute. Like it's quite disrespectful. Like it's slow and yeah. me- like methodical and everything yeah. that Lemmy wasn't. It doesn't make yeah. any fucking sense. No, no, no. it doesn't. The, the headlights fading melody as well. It just feels really dour. I really don't enjoy it. Should and... we get into some of the lyrics then? I know we keep touching upon it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's you know replete with motorhead references as we say kind of subtly it's not james you know using them mechanically to kind of lead the story but there's lots of allusions and lots of sort of direct references as well yeah the the lyrics to me don't really you know stand out too much it's very two three syllables a lot of it pushing through here we get harks to aces wild aces like apparently white lines fading is also a reference to lemmy from some sort of song but yeah what, what do you think of the lyrics there yeah like you said i prefer the subtler ones mm-hmm. like um you said that white lines fading that is a yeah a, a reference i'm trying to think of the song now but i can't remember yeah. i just took that as him doing loads of speed basically yeah, yeah of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> a famous methamphetamine yeah. user yeah. <laughs> um and then iron horse rolls on and on and on that's kind of a, a very western mm-hmm. very cowboy style which i quite appreciate with lemmy's imagery of the cowboy yeah. hat and stuff and and that kind of thing but yeah literally using the born to lose live to win motto as kind of one of the hooks oh mm. oh i yeah just yeah. just there's my least my least favorite for sure is give me murder second class to none which makes no damn sense <laughs> second class to none you can fuck right off yeah. with that <laughs> murder one we should say was the name of his rig as well um, yes, it's the know. name of Lemmy, Lemmy's favorite bass amp, yeah, yeah. which was uh, a huge, like, Marshall stack, mm-hmm. taller, almost twice as tall as he was. It was, like, I'm, nine feet tall. I don't three. know this for a fact, but I'm going to assume it was emblazoned with Nazi insignias. Ish, yeah. yeah. yeah I think it literally could... had Murder 1 on oh, it. Right. I, th- I think I know it does in the in the video, but I think that's definitely what they called his signature. Yeah, it, it literally had the words "Murder One" yeah. in like big gold with the star and the word "Lemmy" on it and stuff. It's it's about as Lemmy as you can imagine, yeah. minus the the Nazi Iron Cross and stuff. It's quite impressive how. I guess in the pre-chorus to this song, um, James uses the word Ace in four lines in a row. It's like, this song's about <laughs> Motorhead. I mean, we've got to reference Aces somewhere, so, you know. <laughs> it does, yeah, it does feel a bit lazy, doesn't it? Slightly. Oh, what, what's the song everyone knows? Aces, Wild Ace. Yeah, let's just yeah, say Aces yeah, yeah. over and over again. Yeah. yeah. He never says Overkill or... Well, he doesn't fit the word orgasmatron in there. Like, what's he doing? <laughs> That's you're, true. You're missing out. Poetic he, genius of Lemmy. Does he reference anything obscure? Or are they all pretty well known? I'm not really a Mohead guy. They're, they seem, unless there's, like, I, I'm not uh, an expert on on lyrics. Sure, I'm not sure. listening to Mohead to listen to the lyrics. Yeah. But <laughs> it's kind of a, from what I can tell, most of it is fairly kind of 
down the line kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily one for the diehards or anything like I that. Know. Maybe if you read the lyrics down on the first letter of each line, it like spells an obscure Motorhead song. I, I don't know. That would be pretty impressive. But... I'm looking at him right now. It does. <laughs> it's just pure gibberish. <laughs> uh, you know, the man in well, black. Well, well, if you get to that line, it's aces, aces, all aces. That is it. It's nah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> lyrically it leaves a lot to be desired and it's that time of the show again where tom rips into kirk um the solo to this is oh. laughable the solo God, to this is genuinely rubbish. i mean this is the worst solo on hardwire and that's saying I, quite I agree. a bit i agree um, i totally agree with you you know what's so weird about the solo it's like kirk forgets how to write it he starts with <laughs> the final four bars like he starts ex- you know how solos build and explode he starts yeah. the explosion and in a kind of dave Mustaine way that can work i think in a, in a certain nels klein way that can work but here yeah, it really doesn't really, like, really technical and then throwing in some crazy like classical yeah. whittling after it but yeah kirk just kind of hits the string as hard as he can i guess yeah, just yeah. as quickly as possible which is quite motorhead that's true that's true jesus that's... <laughs> motorhead had more melodic solos than this and that's saying something when you have a less melodic solo than a motorhead song it's kind of like i think like most people around our age or our generation or whatever i was obsessed with the tony hawk's games and, oh absolutely you know, Tony Hawk's 3 opened with Ace of Space I'm pretty sure it's the first song that plays when you open the game and obviously it's in the soundtrack so I've heard it a million times going through Canada and the Foundry and all that sort of stuff yeah the solo to that is such a good solo like you know yeah. so the the guy Fast Eddie I think he's called or Filthy yep. Phil or, Fast, Fast Eddie Clark is Fast Eddie Clark that's right that's right but yeah Kirk's is slightly question mark. it starts with this kind of spasmodic spread of just of just mad playing and then he sort of has this chromatic movement as well that's just quite obligatory and so some bends here and there and it's just i mean it's, i'm not surprised that it's terrible i hate to say that i really uh, i'm let down yet again like it's one of, you know sometimes a solo can rescue a song low-key like you know it oh, can make definitely. it worthwhile yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, kirk does not do that <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... poor old kirk you're not wrong but no, yeah no, no. and yeah. you know pe- people let me know as well as we always do we head on to twitter and get some feedback for the song and it has pretty much for the most part bit negative as i say let's just dip in tommy tommy's saying the only song on hardwired that i actually like a little less than at first listen it's still really enjoyable especially the verse riff i really like the lyrical lemmy references and the music video may be one of my favorite on the album it's from the guy behind the animation for gorillas yes. i mean yeah the music video i touched on it with sam when we did our music video retrospective recently it is fantastic you say i think it's the only music video i've ever seen that's a straight up biopic um with narration and subtitles yeah the i i i rewatched it in preparation for this episode mm. i'd completely forgotten there was like weird subtitles and stuff down the bottom there and and literally almost not even subtitles little notes mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. this isn't cocaine by the way like yeah yeah who cares what that <laughs> It's a music video. Yeah, yeah, metallic. James, J M Y Z doesn't care. Yeah, that's uh, that's. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I love the scene. I mean, there's so many. T- it reminds me a little bit of the Go with the Flow video by Queen of the Stone Age. I was going to say the exact same thing, yeah. which is very kind of fitting in that kind of vibe. It's a mm-hmm. Motorhead of the you know the the ever touring band. Hence yes. the the Iron Horse rolls on and on kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And yeah, road songs. Is, is there a better driving song than "Go with the Flow" by Queens of the Stone Age? Oh man, I mean, that, and, that, and that video is that just... video is incredible. That album is astonishingly oh, good. Yeah, 
Do you, do you know why the? I know we're going on a tangent. Yeah. We're going to start a whole Queens of the Stone Age podcast. There needs to be. There needs to be we, one. We need you and me. Tom, we'll do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pods of the Stone Age. I don't uh, know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Streams of the Stone Age. Maybe. Hey, there we go. There we go. So the theme of that album, supposedly, yeah, I don't yeah. know how true this is. I heard it in an interview with Josh Homme, but he's famous for just making shit up and joking and stuff. The reason there's all the like radio interludes and stuff mm-hmm. in Songs of the Deaf is because it's him driving out into the middle of nowhere in the Californian desert, I think out to Joshua Tree, if I remember correctly, I believe so. where the recording studio is. And it's going through all the different like Mexican and Spanish-speaking radio stations and then coming back around. And then, oh, there's like a little Christian like rock song kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. there's, a, like, there's a blood drive, I think, that's advertised in the middle of it. And um, yeah, yeah, because the first song, the, the Millionaire, you think I ain't worth a dollar, but I feel like a millionaire. It starts with him putting the keys in the ignition. Yep, and it has exactly. that very American air conditioning. Bing! And then, yeah, yeah, we're going to know on those. Yeah, yeah I, I love that album, man. That is an incredible record. It would be on Desert Island Discs albums for sure. That is yeah, one that I all, remember there was a review. I think the quote on, was from like Q Magazine on the front of the CD when I bought it, but it was such a good quote and it's so true. It's like an album you can live inside for months and it just oh, has that yeah, I remember feel. reading that review, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, God is on the radio, um, Song for the Deaf, Gonna Leave You, Hanging Tree. Like, oh, it's just, yeah. Such, such, and of course, um, you know, go with the flow as well. But yeah, maybe there should be a podcast of, of that, or even Josh Homme's music in general. Um, mm. I think it would be really, really cool. Caius and, and um, yeah. these Crooked Vultures came up on my shuffle recently. And like Scumbag Blues and Elephants, they're such good songs. They're really good tracks. Back to Murder One. And they're, and they're better than Murder One. <laughs> <laughs> they are oh, better than Murder One. That, it kind of says it all about this song, is that we spent 10 minutes talking about Queen of Stone Age instead. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. that doesn't sum up murder one i don't know what does yeah like, oh I... quick let's talk about the good song quick <laughs> hold on to it like a life raft in this sea of monotony <laughs> i mean you know um james as well in the interview that i mentioned before where he talked about the lyrics he spoke about lemmy um and he just made a few notes he was talking about the unwavering strength of lemmy about how he you know he seemed unapproachable but he was actually very real a very lovable character even though he looked slightly med- menacing and James says what an honour it is to celebrate him and his life and his songs. And just today, actually, um, because I am doing more frequent Alpha Talica episodes as we go along the run and trying to do two a week, as I've said before. Um, just today, a few hours ago, I recorded Motor Breath. And, I mean, that was their first Motorhead tribute, right, in Kill em All? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They've been doing Motorhead tributes for, like yeah. we said, for years. Very literally, as I mentioned earlier, in the garage ink covers and stuff. But, yeah, Motor Breath is very clearly... And it even comes all the way back around when Motorhead did a cover of Whiplash on their covers album. Yes. And yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're very interlinked, those two bands. And it's not a... I remember discovering their love of Motorhead and kind of being like, okay, yeah, I can, mm-hmm. I can sort of yeah, see the influence yeah. there, but hadn't really clicked. And then hearing stuff like Motor Breath and yeah, I wanted Murder One to be that, to be more overtly, like I said, more overtly Motorhead. Yeah, and and it's the, just middle of the road modern Metallica. Unfortunately. It is, it is, yeah. <laughs> Bar the lyrics or the title, you would never think in any way it was harking back. You, you think it was yeah. harking back to a lot of other bands as you said before. That's a lot of riffs. It's reminiscent oh, it's like of Led Zeppelin and Judas yeah. Priest and old Metallica. Yeah, and yeah. nothing to do with Lemmy. Oh, my dad. Great. No, and and, <laughs> and Sam Samwell on Twitter saying that it's hardwired to kill his heel. He loves Motorhead and Lemmy, but this could have been a better tribute. 
And yeah, yep. completely agree. That summed it up there. Agreed. Jason saying not one of the more popular hardwired tracks, but I dig it. Great tribute song about being cheesy, tough to do, and the boys pulled it off. Uh, John Bradshaw finally saying one of their all-time worst songs. Sad that they made this a tribute for Lemmy. I think just <laughs> you know, it's the thought that counts, as we're always taught to nurture. So in that sense, it's dope that they've done a song. You know, they've done stuff like this before. Merciful Fate, for example. You know, they've covered yeah. tons of Merciful Fate songs and an awesome medley that I covered recently on the show. But um, yeah, this has been Murder One. Any closing thoughts on the song? I, I, I wish there was like I wish Rob had done something with his bass tone. I'm a bass okay. player. Okay. I'm a bass nerd. Yep. yep. And and funny enough, the 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 song after this on the album, obviously you won't get into it for a while, Tom. Yeah. But spit out the bone. That's right. Yeah. Has a distorted bass solo in it that is quite Lemmy esque almost. And why isn't that the Motorhead? song They're like spit out the bone is just better than this song in every possible way yeah. and it probably like the more we talk about it the less i like murder one now i've said like oh no it's not my it's not my only <laughs> favorite on hardware it might be now that we've spent 20 minutes talking about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah yeah I've, I, it, it's hard for me because i'm a bit of a hardwired hater in general but i would say that murder one is definitely uh, up there as one of the worst talking about spout the bone today which is yeah. you know will go up down as one of the more notable songs of this era certainly one of the more famed and beloved talk me through the first time you heard this track i'm guessing that was the day hardwired was released or oh yeah for sure um i mean first off i mean you got to preface it with all the sort of uh pre-release talk that um yeah. rob trujillo was was kind of talking about the the song saying that oh my god this is like the craziest song on the record it's the craziest song we've ever done this and that and so already you know i think the anticipation was hyped and i th- i'm sure some people immediately skipped the record and went right to that song just yeah. to hear it you know yeah yeah, yeah. and i it might have been just after actually but i remember lars is on chris jericho's podcast and he was like freaking the fuck out about spit out the bone and going crazy right. i remember him specifically like saying to lars how the hell do you your stamina you know i just want to say by the way chris jericho me and him have a little bit of metallica history because when i was in birmingham when i saw them october 30th 2017 i commented on the recap that i did that like because i was right in front of lars's sort of what would you call it, his drum cubby where his, his roadie is <laughs> yeah yeah his little thing and his uh his you know very beautiful supermodel wife was there rocking the hat as she always is and there was this kind of like leonine like i sort of recognize but i don't really know wrestling at all so i was like is that christian i don't don't really know who it was but it was him there and he has yeah so that was cool to be in the vicinity didn't really realize i didn't really pay off but i just want to call him out a little bit he's never going to hear this doesn't give a fuck but (laughs) he on his podcast he has ads which is which is brilliant you know sign of success but he has this really annoying thing it's kind of going to be hard to do an example of it but he'll be talking like this and then i'll be like and then we get onto this but then when he says and then we get onto this the frequency changes so you can tell that they've sort of edited it in to make it sound like he's transitioning into an ad and it's really egregious i don't know why i'm bringing this up i don't know why it's pissing me off but uh yeah shout out chris jericho anyway he was going mental about spit the bone and everyone pretty much has since haven't they there was a build-up to this song coming out live people are crazy for this song this song is bringing in all the trues who are left out in the cold (laughs) like it's done a lot this track 
Yeah, shout out to the trues out there for mm-hmm. spit out the bone. Yeah, I mean it's I personally I think the album version I think it 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 um lives up to uh the hype. Um it's it's a killer tune and and you know I remember reading somewhere where maybe it was in the uh the making of video where they were talking about how it was sort of compiled from a bunch of different songs and stuff. Not not what was the other one that was the working title was Frankenstein. This one was Chi, I think. Mm-hmm. Um but it definitely feels like there's different flavors throughout the entire song. You got a little bit of Kill 'Em All, which I think Kirk Solo sounds like something off of Kill 'Em All, yeah. like tone tone wise and everything. Um, but then the riffs, and then you got um, you got some melody in there that I mean, you know, we'll get to my favorite part of the song mm-hmm. uh, eventually. But you know that part, um, you know, it it just speaks to me. I think, and and even the even the the lyrical content too about um, you know everybody being obsessed with their phones and and all that stuff. I mean, it's it, it's really interesting and sort of timely too. And the song is stuffed, as you say, full of different mm-hmm. influences and eras. And part of you know the malaise of Hardwired to me personally is that the songs are a little too long. They're stretching a True. little bit too me me you know across the bones. But I think spit out the bone. Like it is just there's, there's tons going on. Not only are the guitar parts themselves crammed full of notes, but it's bursting of ideas. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean it. it I mean you could almost make like you know at least two or three smaller songs out of some of the parts of this this uh, entire track and we open then with that maniacal chug and the drums are at full throttle instantly and if you're one of these people who had seen the rob quotes and just wanted to hear this fucking <laughs> like you weren't disappointed and oh no i mean and that's definitely one one part of the song I mean, if i'm listening to it in the car i mean i'm pounding on my steering wheel mm. totally mm. doing some air drumming and well, not necessarily air drumming if I'm hitting the steering wheel, but, you know, I mean, I'm going off already. Yeah, yeah. And we get, like, you know, as his riffs like to do, as James has always done, you know, the, the riff yeah. sort of builds out of the Bogmire. We get little licks here and there. We get a little short break, gasp of air, and then back into just a thundering pulse, the Blitzkrieg charge. And, you know, I like the way that, that, that it ha- we have sort of some Am I Evil type power blasts of opening notes before we get into the main riff. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it... it this this song could have just been called riff i mean because that's (laughs) the band band know what they're doing they're just looking back on all those tropes and you know dusting them off and i love how like i love how the gaps of the track are filled out by the riff itself and then it all kind of you know explodes together it's some relentless stuff oh yeah and and uh it's i mean i guess to quote lars it's a motherfucker yeah (laughs) you know it really is and you know it just this is this is kind of what you want like for me personally i'm not going to say that spit out of the bone is one of my all-time favorite metallica songs i know a lot of people are going to get to the twitter reviews rank it incredibly highly and i you know i can't i wouldn't i don't think it would crack like a top 20 30 like i still really enjoy it but it's not one of the ones that i, I just think is perfectly made what about you overall is this something you rate really highly or you know, I, I, I was thinking about that, and I, I mean, I don't know if it would be in my top ten necessarily, like, you know, like kind of like what you were just saying. It's it's almost like a best of mm-hmm. um, in terms of the different styles that the band can do. And, I mean, for me, if I want to listen to something that wants to – that's going to make me, you know, want to put my foot through someone's chest, I'm going to listen to Damage Incorporated, you right, know. Right, right, um, right. You know, or Dyer's Eve or something. But, yeah. I mean, this it, – it, it's – I'd say maybe it'd be just out of my top 10, but depending on the day, it could easily squeeze in there, you mm-hmm. know? The breathless nature of the verses is something that I really enjoy and find quite exhilarating. But 
I don't know, the chorus is just never really... Like, I think for me, what I love about Spit Out the Bone most are the instrumental breaks and those sort of ideas, which again are kind of 570. Like, we've been mentioning, we've been about Finn Lizzy before. Like, some of yeah. the pieces feel a bit Lizzy-esque. You know? Oh, yeah, some of the some of the uh, guitar harmony is in there yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, sort of later in the song, um, maybe the four or five minute mark. Felt similar to me of Emerald, you know, dun 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 Oh, man, and I mean, fuck it. I, I, I know that I'm eventually going to do a Finn Lizzy podcast. I can feel it in my soul. Like maybe when I'm yeah. like maybe when I'm like 31 or something. Maybe when I just have a few more years on it, you know, listen a bit further. But they're just, um, I mean, yeah, Lizzy are great. But yeah, the, the guitar is all over this track, and there's no real sort of pause. Although I guess in kind of a more fallow moment is Rob's bass, which is awesome to see creeping out there. Oh yeah, and you know that that specific part, um, which I guess occurs slightly before my favorite part of the song um with rob's um bass tone it's almost like lemmy tone yeah yeah you know and i mean that just what's that it's like a lead tone yeah it's crazy and it it, um i I almost kind of wish he had done that throughout the song instead of Mm -hmm. just that one spot i think that would add an interesting uh you know dynamic to the whole song if he had done that or made it sound like that through throughout most of it instead of just that one part Talking about the lyrics of the track before we get to your favorite part, then yeah, like, yeah, you know, how are you reading into them? Well, I, I don't know if you've heard this. Um, it was a B side to um, maybe it was All Nightmare Long. I mm. think um, it was a live track, I believe, from London or Germany, where um, from the pre-death mag. Well, it's like the kickoff of the death magnetic right. stuff, um, where James kind of kind of addresses the crowd. I believe it was Stone Cold Crazy. And he, you know, says, you know, hey, put the fucking phones away and, you know, kind of Ooh. live here in the moment. Okay. And, you know, I'm guilty of it. I'll take pictures of yeah. shows you know, or a little bit of video here and there. Um, and I know, uh, you know, shout out to uh, our friends over at Metal Up Your Podcast. I know Clint <laughs> is, is not a big fan. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, it's funny listening to that particular you know, when James says that, it kind of like I feel like a like a bad kid, like I'm getting yelled at by my my dad or my uncle or something. Okay. You know, um, so I think that whole mentality translates throughout this entire song. It's basically James commenting on people always living for that that photo or that Instagram post or that tweet or whatever it is, and we're just slowly becoming, or in some cases, quickly becoming assimilated by mm. technology. Yep, Sw- just lives in- Yeah, you're so right, yeah. And we just yeah. kind of, yeah, uh, immolated into the computer, right. uh, the future supreme, and the, yeah, they just yeah. spit us out. And yeah, when you consider the actual what James is saying in terms of a bone being spit out, it's a morbid, quite electrifying, poignant image. Very zeitgeisty. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like um, I'm trying to think. I'm, I know there's been a few movies where basically somebody becomes a. F- well, actually, um, this might be a vague reference to some people, but um, Nightmare on Elm Street Five, not one of everybody's <laughs> here's the horror favorite. guy. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, not not one of everybody's favorite, but there's a scene uh, where this guy's having a nightmare. He's on a motorcycle, and um, he slowly becomes part of the motorcycle. Right. Like you know, all these wires and stuff bust into his veins, and you know, he basically becomes machine. Um, so I kind of think of this song like that in terms of you know, spit out the bone. It's like you're 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 not human anymore. You're all 
electronic and your technology and mm-hmm. that's all you are the singularity was it called singularity it was the film with johnny depp directed by wally Pfizer. it was like oh a, yeah that, that com- yeah exactly. complete bomb i think and and yeah that, that idea is explored throughout sci-fi isn't it the, the dream yeah. child was it sorry uh, nightmare on Elm yeah, Street dream okay that is uh much darker and the dream season are more gothic than the previous films of the series apparently i have to check that one out i've never actually seen any of them i'm not like adverse to horror it's just not really my bag oh really yeah i mean I mean, dude, we could go on and on. Sure, know? sure. I don't want but, to open this can of worms. Let's get back onto. Uh, yeah, right. I'll, I'll just spit out the book. Don't get me started. So, um, what what is your favorite part of the song then? So, my favorite part starts at like three fifty eight, I think, um, somewhere around there. That, you know, that little riff. Um, just even kind of humming it, I just got goosebumps. Like it's. Yeah. It's crazy, and then then that little like bridge that James does that stop breathing and yeah. dedicate to me. That's that that entire part. I just I love. Yeah, it's... and that and that guitar line has a harmony beforehand as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's almost thin Lizzie ish too. Right there. Yeah, yeah, it's very very Lizzie ish, and apparently. Lizzie didn't invent the guitar harmony in terms of the rock styling. There's a band called Wishbone Ash. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Mm, no. Sort of a 70s UK rock band. They're kind of big over here, but they still tour around. And obviously Maiden as well were a big influence on Metallica in terms of those two yeah, yeah. harmonies. And I want to say Def Leppard. Did Def Leppard do harmonies? Maybe a little bit. I- I'm not too au fait with that catalogue. Right, right. Yeah, I- I'm not really familiar yeah. with Def Leppard outside of the the radio hits yeah you know. but, but you're so right though like when james sings that verse and when that riff comes in he's like he's standing astride this chaos because this song is yeah. ceaselessly moving forward and the melody as well is very heroic i find and, and oh yeah you're, you're totally right i've never really considered that part of the song as being the actual apex of it but yeah it is a pretty intriguing moment i love it yeah and you know i'm um, speaking of that particular moment too um uh, the last time I saw the guys in Milwaukee in October, um, James did that part right in front of me. Mm. And, of course, I was taking photos. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had some cool photos. <laughs> the um, irony. But I was singing every freaking word and just going off. And, I mean, fuck. Dedicate to me. Terminate for me. You know, it's funny the Terminator is mentioned as well with that idea of the you know becoming one with the machine, the Ray Kurtz world. And... You know, the track moves. The track is going all over the place. There's a few solos pocketed in there as well. They are in that kill em all mold, as you say. They're also in that kind of wary, spasmodic, hardwired, deaf magnetic kind of idea. They're not the most memorable leads, which is no. pretty, you know, not unsurprising for me to say. But um, I, think, I think they work in this kind of, you know, frantic, chaotic context. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, not a high point for, for Kirk, as, as you've said many times but um it it really when that solo kicks in um you know i was saying earlier um that it it sounds like something from kill em all like and and maybe you know me not being um, a guitar player i remember something where the the band were talking about how they could plug in different um tones or sounds or something into their their amps Mm. and to me it sounds like literally the guitar tone that kirk has on kill em all when he's doing his solos yeah it's got a certain nostalgic twinge you're right yeah, yeah. and the the attack as well and there's just lots of different parts of, you know all of that stuff and i'm gonna keep saying that it's lizzie s because again emerald like the, <laughs> those sections as well 
And uh, I remember actually Emerald, I've mentioned this on the show before, that was, it came in a guitar magazine and I was sort of aware of Thin Lizzy and it came with a backing track and I was learning it. It's not too difficult a song, but I was still an early player. And I distinctly remember my dad hearing me play. He was a Lizzy fan and coming in and it was the first time he ever like commented on my playing. He was like, that, <laughs> he was like, that kind of sounded like the record. I was like, I know. So yeah, you know, maybe I got that paternal attachment there. But there is that all over, you know, the Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson and Phil and co here and lots of other bands to harmonize out it it's stacked to the hill and it's unsurprisingly a massive hit with the listeners 44 times it's been played live it's actually performed live in london which is pretty cool on the leg that i saw them they played it in birmingham uh eight days uh, sorry six days later uh last performed june 13th 2019 um so very very nearby uh, in cologne germany um you know is this going to be played more on future tours you reckon is this going to be on snm2 uh i don't know um i i wouldn't be surprised if it pops up on snm2 mm. um in terms of being played live i think it fits nicely or you know in the future i think it fits nicely in with the company of you know the the quote-unquote intro tape songs you know fire yeah, with yeah. fire battery damage inc dyer's eve maybe one day we'll get played again um and then this of course with that little intro tape that it has now um i i think it's fine i mean but at the same time it's sort of like um you know like like i was saying when i saw him in milwaukee i was hoping for spit out the bone because it was like my one and only chance to see that song live but my buddy that was with me had never seen metallica so i was like oh maybe they'll play you know i I was hoping not to hear battery because i had heard it in chicago in 2017 but you know so that was that was a win-win for me but you know maybe a a slight lose for my buddy but whatever (laughs) and just before we get to the uh, twitter feedback any final thoughts on this song bob um all i can say is i fucking love it i mean spit out the bone what 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 can't you what, what don't you not like about it you know yeah yeah and as always happens with these tracks the more i listen in prep for the episode the more i grow to love them and yeah this is slowly climbing it just never never really clicked i guess on a certain level but now i you know i'm down with it and it's yeah it's it's a highlight of hardwired for sure yeah for sure yeah so we go on Twitter at MetallicaPod, as we always do. You know, reach out to you guys the day before, get your thoughts on the songs. And uh, for Spit Out the Bone, we have Triton, first of all, saying one of their best modern songs, along with Moth, for sure. An incredible throwback to the old sound with killer riffs and epic melodies. It's also really nice to hear James using his black album voice again. The Stop Breathing and Dedicate to Me part gives me chills all the time. As we said, uh, Nick says the middle part is astounding as well. Ralph saying this song makes me downright giddy, to be honest. It's an instant classic and one of uh, one hell of a way to close out the album. It's the best song on the record and probably the best song they've written since one. I mean, that the best song they've written since one, Bob. Is that is that true? That's a tall. Um, that's a tall order. Uh, maybe in terms of um, complexity, I would agree. Um, you know, I, I, we've talked about this. I'm more of a load reload cat but mm-hmm. you know I, I can definitely um you know uh throw down with everybody when it comes to you know the faster thrashier stuff i mean yeah. i love all that shit so you know I mean, yeah if you're if you're just on that train of thought then yeah it would make sense that this would be uh, yeah. you, know, you know the best song in, in so many decades uh ralph sure. was saying all four members are at the top of the game on this one love all facets of it andy saying amazing song that gave me a massive shit-eating grin on first listen personally think the one minute groove section from 455 is unnecessary and would prefer it not to be there takes from a 10 to an 8 or 9 for me would love to hear edited version with that section removed um any thoughts on that section i mean it doesn't really bother me personally yeah it doesn't bother me um in in terms of an edited version i mean i know that there's that 
that radio edit version on uh, Spotify, but I haven't listened to that in a while, so I'm not sure if that ver- that little part's in there, but... I mean, shit, I, I wouldn't cut anything from the song, personally. No, no. And Metallica always do this. When they don't have that many ideas for a bridge or to be original and to break out, they'll do what, you know, you were just saying there, Andy. Like, kind of deconstructing the riff to a certain extent, you know, throwing a few mm-hmm. extra chugs in there or whatever. Sure. Um, we just covered some kind of monster, and that does it quite a lot. And then we do it a lot on Sanger and Death Magnetic. Abel saying, really sick song, one of my favourites on Hardwired. Uh, if future circumstances don't allow Metallica to release a follow-up to Hardwired, then Spit Out of the Bone would be a heck of a swan song. Cruel Badger's thesis saying, every time someone makes a shitty joke about Robert's bass playing, I feel compelled to drill this song into their ear holes. And it ain't even my favourite on the album. Ven says it makes me feel like a badass. A deal saying, best song on the album, but I have a love-hate relationship with the subject matter. It is different and fresh, but does seem kind of odd compared to everything else James has addressed in his lyrics over the years. Thoughts on that, Bob? Yeah, I, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I could see that 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 point of view. Um, I, you know, I personally though, I think looking at the arc of the Hardwired album as a whole and the theme of being hardwired to self-destruct, literally, mm-hmm. um, I think hardwired. You know, the the term hardwired and the theme of of spit out the bone i think kind of go hand in hand um because you're you're i mean really we are hardwired to be into technology and be on our phones and you know you always see people say oh i I left facebook you know over on the metallica forums or whatever um but we're just we're in tune with we're we're plugged in i mean we really are i mean right right now we're doing this on skype you know Uh i mean it's 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 current events you know metallica songs often feel timeless to a certain extent mm-hmm. but but this Definitely. one yeah does put it into a kind of you know late 2010s context there finally angel does saying oh my god when i first heard this i was blown out my fucking mind this is the best metallica song in the last two decades great riff lars is an absolute highlight and rob's bass part reminds me so much of a nib nib by sabbath um yeah bob any any last words on spit out the bone before we conclude here uh, you know, if you're on the fence about Spit Out the Bone, play it, play it loud, play it on repeat, um, drive really fast when you're playing it, yeah. uh, in, in the car, um, and ho- hopefully it'll, it'll get its hooks in you and, you know, you'll, you'll turn around on it for sure. But it's, personally, I think it's my, one of my, well, yeah, I'd say it's my favorite song on the record. Um, Over and that, that, what's that? Over Moth Into Flame. Uh, well, that's me, norm- I mean, that's normally people's favorite. My own. Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, today on Friday, but you know, maybe tomorrow it'll be a little different. <laughs> but, um, but definitely that part that I that I highlighted, I think that's my favorite part on the entire album. Yeah. Like throughout all the songs. I mean, I love Halo on Fire too. So that's. <laughs> but right now, spit out the bone is is at the top of the food chain. All right, well, as always, guys, follow us at MetallicaPod if you want to give us our little critiques of the songs or whatever. You want to follow the news of the show, MetallicaPod at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me and guests on the show. Patreon is there. If you enjoy the show, you want to give back iTunes as well. What do we have coming up soon? We've got lots of great episodes in the pipeline. We've got St. Anger next week, and then Stone Cold Crazy, Stone Dead Forever, and The Struggle Within. So a really fun fortnight coming up. 